welcome to the Luminaries in and Out of Sect podcast, a show about the moon and how astrologers embody and relate to it. My name is S.P. Hall, and I'm your host. In today's episode on the Capricorn moon as the Luminary out of sect, I speak with a very thoughtful, kind astrologer, Angeles Lopez, better known to most of you as Madame Angelique. In this conversation, we talk about Angeles's Capricorn moon in their 12th sign house, Buddhism and the nature of the self, and many other things, from Dodecatomoria to Ferdaria to Platonism as a philosophical foundation for astrology to a Mayan myth about the birth of the sun and moon. And despite the fact that this conversation was recorded several weeks ago, we also touch a bit on the Saturn discourse that's been making the rounds on social media, and the beneficence, or at least the necessity, of maleficence. But we also get into some sensitive topics, so here is a bit of a trigger warning. In particular, we talked about mental health challenges, suicidality, death, and the use of plant-based medicines, or entheogens. So if those are sensitive subjects for you, I would proceed with that in mind. In addition, I also wanted to mention what the recent Mars station has been teaching me about my capabilities, my capacities, and how I need to proceed with this podcast. Given my available time and resources right now, providing transcription for my podcast episodes is something that's not possible at the moment with any expediency. I'm sorry for overpromising and underdelivering on this, and to all those that make the show less accessible. Hopefully in the future, I'll be able to figure out a way to ensure that accessibility tool is available, as accessibility is an important issue to me. With that said, I wanted to give a shout out to Jose, who is Small Dog Star on Twitter, for volunteering to transcribe EY Washington's episode sometime soon. I really appreciated that offer. Thank you, Jose. So keep an eye out for that transcript soon. But now for the wonderful conversation that I had with Angeles. I hope you enjoy it. Please be sure to check out the links to their website and socials below, as well as links to some of the resources that we touch on in our conversation. Angeles, thank you for being here today. It's a uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. How are you doing? Hi, SP. I'm very well. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very very happy to be here with you. Awesome, it's my pleasure. And how have you been doing with the uh, with the recent astro weather that we've been experiencing? Is Mercury retrograde being being okay? Mercury retrograde on top of Mars retrograde. It's been interesting because it it has been like a mixture. Of uh, Mercury is right now my time lord, perfection wise from the ascendant, and Mars is my monthly perfection lord from the <laughs> ascendant right now. So since the change from the monthly change from Mar from Venus sorry to Mars, it's been much more uh, tricky. <laughs> Before mm. with Venus, it was a little bit more uh, funny, like mixing things, but mm. right now it's a little bit more. Um, I don't know how to say it like uncertain whatever will happen and i'm trying um really really hard not to uh lose my head <laughs> with yeah. this friend how about you i hear you yeah uh, my birthday was on was on christmas and um my time would changed via perfection from the sun to mercury and um it's definitely felt different <laughs> you know Mar- uh, mercury went retrograde a few days later mars has been retrograde for the last five million years uh so 
um, getting by the best I can, but I'm definitely feeling energy levels a bit lower and, um, I'm, I'm seeing like glitching too on the internet, you know, like Twitter, there was that Twitter went down that day and I feel like other websites are like slow to slow to load. And so I'm kind of seeing, seeing the mercury retrograde, uh, in my life and in, you know, out in the world as well. Sure. Yes. It's a try for our patients, I I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And with Venus as your time lord, um, when it was your monthly time lord, did you catch some uh, was that Venus in Capricorn or did you catch some of Venus when it was in Sagittarius? Uh, in Capricorn. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, I love Venus in Capricorn. I feel like it's such a grounded, grounded energy. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, wonderful. Well, I was hoping we could start with you giving a, you know, a brief introduction, or maybe not so brief if you uh, don't want to, uh, introduction to yourself. Sure, I'll try to keep it brief, <laughs> because sometimes I can't even when I try to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm a practicing astrologer for, I've been practicing for four years now. Uh, when I began my studies, uh, I started with modern astrology, but I somewhat felt that it was something was missing. And then I stumbled upon traditional astrology, uh, thanks to Chris Brennan and the astrology podcast. And mm -hmm. I found like, this is what I was needing. Yeah. And it took me a while to discover what kind of astrology I wanted to practice. Because technically, I uh, early on uh, understood that it would be a traditional approach. But in regards to the philosophy and the angle and, and what for, it, it took a while. So I learned from, uh, well, from Chris Brennan, from Adam mm -hmm. Ellenbach. I don't know if you know him. But yeah, a little I, bit. I, I like a lot his uh, mystical, spiritual approach to astrology. Mm. And from Dimitra George, from Ben Dykes. And in some, somewhere in the way, I listened to Robert Schmidt and his take on Platonism as the framework of, of Hellenistic astrology. Mm -hmm. And even though I know it's like an speculation and maybe just one uh, faction of the uh, Hellenistic astrologers, uh, I don't know, communed with Platonism, for me, it made a lot, a lot of sense. So uh, from there, uh, I said, yes, this is like, like what I need. And I think it fits very well with this um, relational approach that I've learned also from other um, younger astrologers. As I don't know, Jason Holly, Palaske, Augustine, Diana Rose Harper. And I I kind of make a blend of this uh, Platonist uh, approach with uh, the wisdom of nature approach, uh, trying to foster this relationship within ourselves, but also with uh, others, human and non human beings. And that's kind of the kind of astrology I've been, I've been doing for some years now. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, you said you started pro you started practicing professionally in 2019. Is that correct? Yes. Wonderful. So yeah, so it's been a few years now of, of professional practice. And then you were a student for how long before that, did you say? A number of yes. years? Uh, I started studying in 2010, but okay. not that, um, not that, uh, I don't know how, skillfully. Seal, <laughs> like I, I started like as a hobby whenever I yeah. had time. Um, I found it uh, astrology interesting, but not that interesting. Mm -hmm. It was until uh, a, 
a couple of years before starting uh, practicing uh, like professionally mm -hmm. that I really uh, decided that I was going to study big time astrology and because I found um, another dimension of of meaning in in there and well, also some <laughs> some heavy transits happening there yeah. so uh, it was a couple of years before and when I started practicing I started practicing with my family friends the friends of friends the friends of friends mm -hmm. of friends mm -hmm. like charging just um very very little because i wanted to practice and then I, as as i have been um, gaining confidence i've been expanding the um, the offerings and, and all, all that yeah wonderful yeah i've actually started recently myself doing um you know i did my my second needle chart reading uh, a week or two ago and I did my first one like a, a month or so ago and it's been really interesting getting that experience of like sitting with someone face to face with their chart rather than just looking at a chart and kind of delineating it yourself but that experience of like how is this chart actually lived which I think is so um, important to hear what that embodiment is like from from the actual person from the native sure because that's another whole uh, skill set because you can be very savvy in astrology, but then you have to know how to communicate that in a way that helps the other person and in a way that re recognizes their experience and not like telling them, oh, you should be like this, like this or whatever. And the other person is like, ah, what mm -hmm. are you talking about? It's, it's an art. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then not to get too off on like my own thing that I'm doing, but I'm reminded of, um, I'm also, I also do some horary astrology and it's interesting how uh, like there's that concept in astrology of radicality where things are rooted in the chart and they tell a story. Um, and they talk about intellectual astrology, the radicality that's supposed to be in the needle chart as well of the person using the election. And Hori is an interesting thing because there's almost like the radicality is in the moment that the astrologer picks the chart and the story is supposed to be told in that, not supposed to, but like generally you see the story told in that, but it often doesn't actually apply to the person who's asking the question. And so there's this interesting divorce between the chart of the moment and the chart of the person asking the question almost doesn't matter. That's not completely true, but most, most times it is true. Um, so there's this interesting, interesting divide, I think, between those two things that I'm seeing. Yes, I totally agree. And also I think that Horry is really great in order to for us to understand this that the chart is not a static thing mm. but it's moving all the time and it's not just uh saying something but it can tell a lot of stories in, depending where are we approaching it from and the context of the person is living and i think that understanding that comes much more naturally from horary we can extrapolate to natal and it mm. helps a lot yeah yeah i totally agree two things that you that you referred to that I just want to like re return to and get some clarity on is re you referred to wisdom of nature and I was hoping like you can is that similar to animism or it, do you have a is that a different concept yes it, in one part it's uh, linked to animism which comes in my case from the platonic uh, point of view but also I was referring to the wisdoms of mostly, well, mainly from Amerindian uh, native cultures, mm. which have this, um, I, um, like this, um, 
knowledge of the interconnectedness we have with nature yeah. and the way they approach nature as teacher and the way they uh, believe in also, well, it's another way of animism, the way uh, the, I don't know, the water, the wind, the sun, the trees, the everything, the animals have their wisdom. And if we learn to listen to them, we can learn from them because we are part of a, a whole ecosystem, not mm. just like humans in our world, but are right. part of a bigger picture. And seeing from that, um, cosmogonies of the Native Americans, mostly from Mexico and from South America, all, because I, I know very little of the Native Americans of North America. Okay. The little I know, I like it, but I'm mm -hmm. mostly ignorant of, of them, mm -hmm. but from Mexico and uh, South America. I mean, it's not that I'm expert either, but the encounters I've had with shamans and this kind of people that embody this kind of wisdom has been also a life changer for me. Mm -hmm. And just to um, clarify, maybe for people who aren't super familiar, you're from, uh, you're born and raised in Mexico, correct? Yes. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mention that. Yes, no, I'm that's, Mexican that's okay. born and raised. Okay, wonderful. So thank you for explaining that. And then do you mind... Um, talking about the the ideas in um, Platonism that kind of resonate most with you and maybe how that relates to animism, if, if it yes. does? Um, the way I've, I've approached uh, Platonism uh, through the lens or by the hands of Edward Butler, who is a philosopher animist also. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've learned a lot from his approach to Plato, which might be very different from other academic approaches to, to Plato. And the good or the gods or all the gods are uh, perfect and are good. And they try to help us to be good. And they communicate with us through everything in the cosmos, be it the planets, be it also nature. And although when they uh, act in our sublunar realm their actions might be um, confusing because they are blending with our confused minds or spirits or whatever they have all they have always this um i don't know how to say like they are pointing to our divine nature and pointing mm -hmm. to the ways in which we can uh come back to that divine nature but not in um how can i say it not not rejecting the material realm but understanding that they are part of the same thing. Right. Although um, when we are confused, we suffer from matter because we are learning to perceive with a much clearer view. And I mean, I could, I could say a lot yeah, more about that, but more or less that's that thing. I, mean, I, I did an undergraduate uh, degree in philosophy. So I know like, yeah, these are things that we can talk about for years. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but thank you for explaining that. And I think just one other question, because I'm interested in like the philosophy that astrologers bring to their practice. Um, the one thing that struck me uh, when I was reading your website was this emphasis on ecology that you mentioned, and also um, this kind of seemingly maybe dual idea of going from chaos to cosmos. And then the reiteration of like, we are chaos and we are cosmos and I was wondering if you could talk more about your ideas about that. Sure. Um, I have been a Buddhist practitioner for almost 20 years now. Oh, wow. So uh, Buddhism is also a very deeply ingrained part of my life and my uh, way of seeing the world. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want to get too deep in that because it will yeah. be another another whole uh, subject. But uh, I'm saying this because from the point of view of Buddhism, uh, also um, we don't see what there is, but we see what our conditioning filters allow us to mm. see. And part of the um, liberation process is learning to uh, tear down those uh, veils that doesn't allow us to see things as they are and learning to, to see things as they are. Mm. Uh, and Buddhism is very um, focused in the mind and the purification of the mind. And um, maybe because of my natural tendencies, at the beginning of my Buddhist practice, I was very um, disconnected from my body because I was mm. like, I need to cultivate my mind and understand my mind and all this stuff that I think I think it's valuable. But for some of us, it's also, uh, well, for all of us, it's also important to to ground in the, in the way in the earth we are and in the nature we are and in the families we are and the societies we, we are. And for an uh, important part of my life, I live a little disconnected from that uh, earthy quality of life. Mm. And uh, then when I stumbled upon these, um, I don't know, like shamanic practices that kind of uh, make us come back to our bodies, to nature, to recognize that we are part of a, of a bigger picture, right. not just um, abstractly, but concretely part of, of a bigger picture, uh, that made me understand that something that might be pretty obvious for other people, but for a uh, 12th house Capricorn moon is not that obvious. Mm. Um, that we are we are also our bodies, and we are yeah. also the the communities from which we come, and we are also the environments in which we live, and mm. that we need to take care of our bodies, of our families, of our whatever we consider our family. Not not I'm not just talking about the blood family, although it, of course it, it it can be applied. But the, mm. our circles, let's say, and the earth from which we are born and from which we eat and from which we live, because it, without these uh, material conditions, we can't exist. And mm. so the, at the beginning of my encounter with this other cosmogony, my inner world shattered <laughs> because mm. I was like, oh, no, what is this? I, I don't understand. And it was a, a, a deep uh, crisis of faith because I, I thought what am I doing? Was I wrong? Is Buddhism wrong? What, what's happening? But after some years, I kind of found that they are not um, at odds, just that they are complementary approaches. Yeah. And right now, I uh, think that it is very important for us to recognize this material part of us, this um, human animal instinctive part of who we are, and this mm. relational part of who we are, yeah. and not just to strive for our inner liberation, but to strive for that inner liberation in order to help other beings to 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 be free also which might also enter uh, in the buddhist point of view Mm. but now i try to frame it including this more material uh, point of view Mm. and from this uh, how how know from the cows and cosmos things things sorry um hmm, i think that when we are confused and lost it might be very frightful, frightening, yes, frightening, frightening sorry, yeah. and confusing. Um, but from that um, chaos, uh, order can, can come, cosmos can come, and we right. can uh, reinvent ourselves. And I think, um, as you said, this is like uh, going and coming, 
because it's mm. not that we are aiming for a perfect uh, static cosmos or order and to stay there, but it, it's a, a come and go, let's say. And uh, when you start, um, I don't know, like feeling more comfortable with that inner chaos, that inner uncertainty, that inner uh, darkness, if you may, um, I believe that we start to understand that it's not that cosmos is more preferable than chaos. Both are nice, all right? And yeah. it's nice is the world, but we can learn from, from both and we mm -hmm. shouldn't uh, fear any one of, of those. Mm. Um, but we have to learn how to relate with with them, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm reminded of something on your website um, talking about uh, connecting movement to identity. And I feel like there's something really important here about that movement between chaos and cosmos. If we can kind of think of them as different things, you know, they can be one one in the same thing even, but if we think about them as the different things and kind of the movement from coherence to incoherence or chaos to unity or what have you, I feel like there's something really important in that idea and it resonates with me and kind of my own ideas about uh, my sense of self, which I feel like they may kind of be somewhat Buddhist in a sense of I don't necessarily believe that I have a fixed identity and maybe that's being a Sag rising with, with a Sag moon and, you know, all of that uh, fire and air in my chart. But I think at the center of it, there is no fixed identity. The thing that I identify, that I identify with most and that I feel is the most spiritual thing within me is this emptiness, this like void that I can touch base with or come into contact with and then things can emerge from that in the same way of chaos we are chaos and we are cosmos or from chaos to from chaos to cosmos what have you like we need emptiness we need a recession of something for something else to come into being to arise you know we need the winter for the spring and the summer which is why I think in this in this Capricorn time where that we're in I'm a Capricorn sun. I feel like it's really important to acknowledge, uh, you know, and talking to a very Saturnine person as well. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge the need for um, Saturn, the need for the malefics. You know, if we just have the, the benefics, we have an overflowing of life. Um, and sometimes we need things to be trimmed and cut away for the proper growth to occur for, for lack of a better term yep totally and i think it, everything you shared is very beautiful i, I really appreciate it a lot because i agree with everything you said mm. uh, starting with this um the importance of the for, for for one side like integrating duality especially when we are talking about ourselves because mm -hmm. uh when we have, uh, well, we all, but especially when we have a, a lot of oppositions in our charts, or at least one opposition in our chart, um, there's this, like, conflict be between I am this way, but I am also this way, I want mm. this, but I also want this, and then that sometimes uh, engenders, like, self-doubt or self-loathing or like not appreciating who we are because we tend to identify with this is good this is bad I shouldn't be feeling this I should be feeling that mm. and that generates a lot of inner 
chaos, not nice chaos, but but um, conflicting chaos. Right. And I think that also happens within societies and and everything that 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 not being able to understand what you said that it's not that is this or is this is that it's this and it also is this mm-hmm. and, and for this to be uh, properly valued you need this and for this right. to be properly valued you need this and if you stay a lot of time in just one extreme it's going to suck which right. i think it's also one of uh, another of the nice things of platonism this um uh, reconciliation of extremes or tempering of extremes mm-hmm. that i find really interesting and useful because it says we can say that very easily but it's not easily practiced and right. i like the the way you put it because as the as a heavily malefic person uh, mm. i have come to reconcile with my malefic side and even being grateful for that because mm. if, if it were not for for that malefic side I must probably have been dead <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, well, my life would be much more terrible. <laughs> well, it's yeah. not that it's terrible now, but it would be harder if I didn't have like this uh, fighting uh, ability, let's say. Mm. And I think it's, it's really interesting. And also the other part you said about the non-intrinsic um, uh, identity. I agree totally with that. The Buddha would <laughs> agree with you too. Mm. Uh, but also I believe that, as you said, there might be no substance in any of us, but there's this awareness. Mm, yes. And that awareness, as you said, is like a space for everything to be possible, for everything to emerge. Mm. And it's, it's exactly when we start like identifying with something that, well, that something takes shape, but also that we close the possibility of something else to, to emerge. But mm. really, really, well, I know, it's not that I know what reality is. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm learning. But I, what I'm trying to say, it's really nice to to be more aware um, about this um, awareness, this naked awareness that is not um, limited by an idea of who we are. Mm. And I think that that's very Sagittarius, <laughs> but yeah. that's also really, really, really nice. Mm, yeah thank you for sharing your thoughts on that um yeah and thank you for what you said about like the importance of the malefics because I also have very uh an angular malefic and then like a very dignified malefic and I do think I can really see the um how those planets can be beneficial um and how those planets can I know that the, the definition of malefic is like kind of contrary to life but I do think that sometimes the pruning away um, really can bring forth uh, life and growth in ways that wouldn't otherwise be there, as you mentioned. Um, so I do wanted to talk about very briefly how we um, know each other, because I think this episode is really interesting to some of the past episodes, because I know Erin and I know Diana relatively well. But this is actually the first conversation that you and I are ever having. <laughs> uh, we're having it across Zoom, but we're ever having kind of face to face. And I think it's important to provide that context uh, so that um, listeners can maybe understand uh, how this conversation could potentially be different or why it might be different in certain ways. So I just wanted to kind of provide that information. But I also think that. Um, so I, I posted a few weeks ago because I had a hard time. I found my Sag moons really easy. I have a Sag moon 
you know, we find each other that I have a bunch of them in my life, but I didn't know, um, of any astrologers with cap moons and Aquarius moons. And so I like, you know, I put a post out on Twitter, like shout out to my cap Aquarius moons. Like what are things that you like about your, about your moon and what's a challenge. And so many people responded, which I really appreciated. Shout out to all the people that participated in that. I I really appreciated it. And I learned so much about these Saturnine moons. Um, And you, you posted on that as well. But I also feel like even before I started the podcast, you've just been so supportive of like my learning process in astrology. And so I was really excited when you posted that. And I was like, yes, Angelis has a, has a Capricorn moon. I'm going to, I'm going to ask them if they'll be on the podcast and you were so gracious to accept the invitation, which I really appreciated. Yeah. I don't know if you have anything more to say about that. I am also very grateful of the opportunity because as you said, we kind of found each other in Twitter and that has been our whole interaction until today. Uh And it's um, been really nice for me because I'm always a big fan of kind people, of curious people, of intelligent people, and you fit in in all <laughs> the categories. Mm-hmm. So it was always really easy to talk to you, to discuss ideas. I, I, I've always found you really insightful, uh, but also be- very uh, curious, as I said. And, and mm-hmm. I like that because sometimes um, it's not so easy to find that <laughs> combination of someone that has a lot to say, but also a lot of space to listen so i i immediately immediately recognize that in you and i said oh, this this guy is nice and after <laughs> uh reading your tweets and engaging a little bit more i really liked the way i perceive you respect astrology which is mm. something for me is really important i i don't like people who i feel don't listen to respect astrology and also the care you put in your practice that's also mm. something that i admire and inspires me and that's why even when sometimes I'm a little bit hesitant to engage or interact with people, I don't know, or whatever, because of, I'm like this, again, 12th moon, 12th house Capricorn moon, like, oh, I, don't, I don't know, you go away. Uh, but it was really um, nice and flowing. And I'm very happy that it brings us here because it's it's been really nice so far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. That was so sweet of you to say. I think the first... Uh, uh, I might have, uh, someone's cutting onions over here. I might have shed a tear or two. The first t- tears have been shed in this conversation. Um, I really appreciate that. That was very sweet. Yeah. And it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to to getting more into this conversation and hearing um, your experience. Cause I feel like you already, yeah, it's been great so far and you have so much to say. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to touch on a quote that I read on your website yeah, so I'm just going to translate this, and I hope I do a good job because you wrote it in Spanish, but it says, uh, one of the greatest prides of my life is that I've learned to be happy without sacrificing my critical capacity and my sense of reality. Is that a fair translation, would you say? Yes. yes yeah. I, 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 and I, I move, my words move myself. <laughs> that is wonderful. I love that. I was hoping that um, we could use that quote as um, a springboard to like get into this conversation a little bit uh, because I feel like that is such a really good, I I don't know how you feel, but I feel like it's such a good uh, encapsulation of your rising sign where your moon is and your, you know, very dignified Saturn in the ninth house in Libra. 
And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Well, yes, that's a great uh, way to start, I believe, because um, for the first part of my life, I even though it's not that I had great tragedies or, or great terrible things happening to me, I was very unhappy person. Mm. I um, the world ached me. The the social dynamics, the the environmental crisis, the economic craziness, everything in the world uh, ached me, and uh, I I it was really hard for me to um, get out of um, I, like a barrier of fear and resentment and mm. um, a lot of not very nice emotions that that were like um, there in, in like making very rigid my my heart mm. and my approach to life because that fear and that um that and that pain uh coming from a capricorn moon was not expressed um like crying <laughs> or mm. like being like all the time like oh the world is so sad it was like oh the world is shit so okay <laughs> we need to to be to to i don't know to to solve things and to to keep walking or whatever mm. and even though when I um, always found like ways to um, cope with the world, I really didn't like the world. Like I, I, for most part of my life, I wanted to disappear, to die, to go away. I, I didn't like anything in life. And I, I remember mm. since I was a kid in like, um, like in, in, in elementary school, wondering like what is this i mean i will grow up i will marry i will have a house i will have mm. a car i will have a, a dog and what <laughs> like what does that mean what, what what is that all that there is in the world and if that is all that there is in the world i would better die right now because mm. I, I don't find it appealing or attractive or nice or whatever and it was also like a very isolating experience because in part i think because of my uh, exalted Saturn in the ninth, and also because of my Leo Sun, I believe mm -hmm. this wasn't so obvious with the people that I interacted in school and everything. Everything yeah. seemed to go smooth. I always had good grades. I never had like real problems in my family, or oh, like in disciplinary problems or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but that made me feel more isolated because my friends, my family, my teachers, whatever. They thought, oh, she's all right, she's all right. But mm. I was not all right. And it was really um hurtful experience. Yeah. But after first with Buddhism, precisely, uh, first it was like a, a bummer because when I thought about reincarnation, I was like, oh, even if I die, this doesn't end. So it goes right. on and on and on. But after seeing like there was um a path to a better life, I said, well, okay, that, this might help. And I started practicing and I really believe that that Saturn helped a lot because I took my practice really seriously. When I started mm. um, practicing, I meditated all day, every day uh, for a couple of hours. I woke up really early in the morning to to meditate. I went to, to classes. I read books. I went to retreats. I, I really took, took very, very seriously my approach to Buddhism, maybe more seriously than, than, than would be healthy <laughs> in retrospective, mm. but at the same time. I think that it, it helped me to start balancing myself and uh, I don't know like exploring not just the dark side of of the force, but also mm -hmm. the, the light side of the force. And without making this very <laughs> very long, 
um, it's been like a, a journey in trying to find um, a reconciliation uh, between precisely not ignoring that there are these things in the world that I don't think they are easy or nice or whatever, um, but also that that is not everything that there is because mm -hmm. there is also a lot and there is also, I don't know, a lot of, of beautiful things in the world. Mm -hmm. and, and trying to, to live more accordingly with this um, extended reality and not just this closed, gloomy, dark uh, part of, of perceiving, which was my most natural lens to life when I was born. Mm. Wow, there's so much there. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing so openly. I think the thing that comes to mind first is I want to talk about that sun in the seventh. And then I feel like I want to hear about your Venus placement because I feel like maybe what you just described can describe the relationship between maybe your moon and Venus. Um, but I was curious if like there was some element with the Leo sun in the seventh of people can see, like there's an element of you shining that people see that's maybe not necessarily, like you said, there. it's not all there is or uh, it's just the just the outside, but there's something inside that's not necessarily able to be seen. Like I'm reminded of Jason Holly's lecture on the sun where this idea of like people aren't really able to get too close to the sun. Like people can't really like get to know what's inside the sun because the sun shines so bright. It's like you kind of have to stay a little bit away from it, enjoy it, enjoy it at a, at a distance. And I wonder if like there was some element of that or what your relationships at that time were kind of characterized by. Yes, I could say a lot about that, but um, just to try to keep it short, since my son is in the seventh, it has been mostly in close one-on-one -on -one relationships or in partnerships, in mm. romantic relationships even, when this um, contradiction between my son and my moon and my Venus has been really um, evident because um, with most of my partners, I've always felt like um, it was nice and, and fun and we could share a lot of things and we could uh, share like this um, exterior part of learning, of traveling, of, I don't know, like like the most visible part of our lives, which was honest. But I felt like this there was this um, lonely, sad part of myself that, that mm -hmm. wasn't getting the recognition that it needed. And that made me feel, oh, I could give a lot of stories, but yeah. sometimes like uh, far away or sometimes me myself uh, pushing the other person away for them not to see that other part of me. Mm. And also in regards to my Venus, not only in, in romantic relationships, but in relationships in general, there's like this um, also like contest between mm. a part of me that wants to be more nurturing and more caring and more loving, more affectionate. And this other part of me that is not, no, <laughs> that's mm. not practical. Why would I do that? I, I, I don't know. I don't want that. And mm. I think that my, my Venus placement also has suffered a lot because it, she has been like um, strange, both by its uh, ruler, the, the moon in Capricorn, but also by the square of Saturn. And so uh, Venus has like wanting to give a lot of love, but not finding um, so many places where to, to express it. And mm -hmm. the principal way 
in, well, not, not way, the, the principal place in which my Venus has found its way out has been historically in in my work in my workplaces. Not all mm -hmm. of them, but from the time I started working in jobs that make sense made sense to me, like that I believe they were meaningful. Of course, not the corporate jobs I had before, but mm -hmm. the the hippie work I started to to have from my Saturn return afterwards. There, there is there it is where I felt that this Cancer Venus could come out and express in a secure place, mm. and also this needs to uh, to to balance because sometimes that that Venus can go that can overwhelm can go all the way. And sometimes it, she also needs like, like a stop or something like that makes sense. Mm, yeah, like uh, using whole sign houses. I feel like there's something, especially with what people reflected on that Twitter post about the Capricorn moon of being loving in a very practical way or being caring in very practical ways. And there, I think Venus in the sixth house like can operate in that way, especially in Cancer. But I feel like there is a reason why Venus joys in the fifth, you know, like the house of pleasure and the house of creativity rather than the house of, you know, the sixth house can be associated with work, can be associated with like day-to-day -day habits. So there is that, you know, it's interesting that that came out for you at work, um, yes. that Venus placement. Yes, because I think that how, I know how to say that it, it was when I felt that I was giving service to a meaningful service that, and I felt connected to the people to whom I was working with, that that Venus could flow. And I, it, it was really nice. I mean, I, I found most of my closest, deepest friendships in my work environments precisely mm. because of this. But at the same time, coming back to the disconnection of the body of that Capricorn moon, it has been, it had a price because for many years uh, I worked a lot because I was working for things that I found meaningful mm. and then working every day, even weekends, not sleeping, just working and working and working because I, I, I liked it and I thought it was meaningful. And yes, it was meaningful, but I forgot that I also had to sleep. I also had to do other things. I also had to talk about things that weren't Buddhism or now mm -hmm. astrology or whatever. Uh, and then uh, it 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 entailed to learn to balance that uh, like that, that giving for it to be sustainable for my health because again in in another signification of of the sixth even when it's been Venus and it's it hasn't been that um, terrible so far mm -hmm. it has uh, had uh, some health issues the, right. the this giving thing yeah yeah and it makes sense that. Um the moon ruling the, that Venus from the 12th and Capricorn um, and what you said about this uh, disembodiment that maybe you had when you came into Buddhism, um, you know, which you've had to learn how to kind of embody and become mindful of the ecology that you're part of in many ways, like maybe overextending yourself, overextending your body in certain ways um, for that you know, Venus in the sixth purpose of doing that work and bringing together those uh, work relationships that you had and, and what have you. Yes, totally. Because yeah. yeah. there's also this um, close relationship 
not just between my moon and the Venus, but also with Saturn that squares both of them. Mm -hmm. But also Saturn is co-present with Mars, which is the ruler of my MC. Mm -hmm. And so my life is like very, very focused in these uh, religious, uh, spiritual working themes. That's my life <laughs> most, mm -hmm. of, most of the time. Well, um, sometimes um, competing with my love life and that Leo zone wanting attention, <laughs> whatever. Oh, but interesting. It, it, it has been like a, a main focus that 9, 10, 6, 12th house mm -hmm. connection in, in my chart. Yeah. So going back to your childhood a little bit, did you have any kind of relationship with the moon when you were a child? I can find like uh, two extremes in my relationship with the moon that I'll try to uh, pinpoint. Mm -hmm. Because when in my childhood, at, at least, I didn't feel feel I didn't feel the the connection to the moon. Maybe because again, it's in detriment in the twelfth conjunct mm -hmm. south so besieged by malefics. It's a nice moon, so I I was like really disconnected of of my body, of moon, of nature, of everything. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, well, I remember. Well, well, I don't remember. But my mother has told me a story that I remember that when I was uh, born. I, I was born from eight months, so I uh, stayed uh, some time in the incubator. Mm. And my mother was, uh, well, and my family, they they were fearful because they thought that I was mute because I was the only baby that didn't cry in the nursery. Oh, wow. And even then, when they took me home for a couple of days, I, I didn't cry. And my mother was like, oh, she's mute. She's mute because she, she doesn't cry. And she gave me the food whenever I it was supposed that I should eat. And, and, and I did everything else good, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I just didn't cry. But then um, since my mother, my father, my brothers carried me a lot, then it came a moment when the Leo son came out, I guess. <laughs> and mm -hmm. when they laid me down in the cradle, I started shouting and crying. And, ah, oh, why are you leaving me? I want attention or whatever. Mm -hmm. But for the, the very first days of my life, I was like not crying, like mute, like like very Capricorn. And that story was really interesting for me, even before astrology. But when I came to astrology, I said, oh, yes, <laughs> this is such a Capricorn moon uh, story because there's this disconnection. I'm not sure why, <laughs> but I know that, 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 that there was this disconnection from, from it. And even though there might be uh, other, um, other moments in my connection to the moon, one moment that I remember that it's kind of funny, but also meaningful, it was meaningful for me, is that the very first time that I went to a, to an ayahuasca ceremony, mm. I went with a friend of mine that she is very lunar and very extroverted and very connected to nature. She's like my my the jing the the jing of my junk or uh -huh. of my jing, I don't know. But we are like very very different persons, and we were in this ceremony. And at a given moment in the ceremony, uh, I, I hadn't uh, puked in, in the whole ceremony. Mm -hmm. And then she told me, have you seen the moon? Don't you think it's like a portal? And I uh, look at the moon, saw the moon. <laughs> oh <laughs> I my puked gosh. In, the, in the precise moment that, that I saw the moon. And it, I didn't quite understood it right then. But in retrospective, I think that the moon was saying, hello. <laughs> Hello, mm. I'm here. Look at me. You you need right. to connect with with this force. And from then on, uh, it, it was like the first experience I had in this um wisdom of nature thing that I that, that I was uh, telling you before. And and it really changed the way I relate with my body, with nature, and and lots of things. 
And mm. I find it very curious that this celestial body that I ignored for the most part of my life suddenly came and, and made like this activation in, in an instant and catalyzed by a person that is very lunar and very connected mm. to these cycles. And it, it was really interesting. Wow, that's so interesting. And it also feels very apropos of the moon, very fitting for the moon of like, the moon is the planet that connects the most because it moves the fastest. And so for you to like be brought in into connection or back into connection with the moon from your friend who's like represents the moon in your life feels very, feels very beautiful. There's something beautiful about that. I wanted to ask a question um, about uh, Saturn and your relationship to astrology. Cause when we were talking before, I know we're a bit all over the place, but when we were talking before, uh, in, in preparation for the episode, you were talking about how you came to astrology later in life. Um, and I related to that a lot because like I said, I just turned, I just turned 33 and I kind of came into learning astrology when I was 32 in like my ninth house year. And you communicated a similar thing of um, starting to learn astrology later in life. And I was just hoping that you could talk more about why you feel like that was and what your process has been like. And if you feel like there are any advantages of learning later or maybe any challenges of learning later in life. Yes, of course. It's also a long story that I'll try to keep short. <laughs> but uh, before my Saturn return, well, of course, I didn't call it Saturn return because I didn't know that even existed. But before that, I didn't like astrology. I thought it was something stupid for stupid mm -hmm. people or whatever. I had this, uh, this um, not, I don't know, intellectual superiority <laughs> complex mm -hmm. that is very sure that it's, it has been proven by science that it doesn't work or whatever. But when I uh, was in my Saturn return, an another friend of mine uh, recommended me to cast my chart in astro.com. And he is a person that I admire because he's intelligent and whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was like funny for me, like, why is this intelligent person telling me to go see my my birth chart? But I went and, and I look at my birth chart and it was really um, impressive for me because one of the reasons, uh, personal reasons, which for which I didn't like astrology is that I never, I mean, I knew I was a Leo son, but I never, never felt particularly Leo. <laughs> mm. I mean, I, I knew that I had some, maybe some traits of, of Leo. But I didn't feel a Leo person. And well, don't get me started. But just thinking about the sun archetype, I didn't feel like a connection. And when I saw my chart, uh, I have been Buddhist for a couple of years uh, then, like six, seven years when, when that uh, happened. And so in that uh, years before the, the, that I saw my chart for the first time, I have been working a lot in this introspection and understanding my patterns and emotional, mental patterns and whatever. And I was very aware of my moon, even though I didn't call it my moon. And when I uh, saw the free description that came in astro.com from the birth chart, I was very surprised that the layers I have identified in myself for a lot of introspection they were there, like you're this, mm. but you're also this, but this, but this, but this. This is something true. <laughs> what what happened with this? And also, I read like a brief um 
like prediction, I don't know, report. And I repeat, I didn't know it. I was living my salary return, but I was living my salary return. And the, the report was uh, focusing a lot in these big changes and this coming to adulthood and this reframing of everything mm -hmm. that I have ever learned and whatever. And that was actually happening in my life because that was when I was uh, leaving my last corporate work to enter to work to in a Buddhist institution. Mm -hmm. That has been my dream for some years before. Wow. I wanted to to give my life whole time to the practice of Dharma and, and help other people to get to, to Dharma. And at the beginning of my salary return, it seemed like a dream come true. Like, oh, yes, you have this work that you always dreamed of. And, mm. and it was real nice. But very soon afterwards, it kind of, it started complicated because, well, you know, Saturn. So for, for not making the story so long, um, this um, precision of what I read and what I found in, in my life really resonated and changed my, my attitude towards astrology. And I think that the that I I appreciate that I found it later in life, because when I started studying astrology more, um, I don't know, like more, more with with more attention and more time and more care, um, I never felt with these cartoon stereotypes mm -hmm. that this is this and this is that and I don't know this placement should act like this and this placement should should act as that. Because I knew my placements, not before I called them my placements before, but before I had the opportunity to to know how I relate, how I feel, how I express, how I think, how yeah. I believe, how I assume, I want things about myself mm -hmm. that I know they were more nuanced than most cookbook uh, recipes <laughs> would would right. state, and that helped me to avoid that trap that I believe many people get get like caught there that oh if you are a gemini whatever or scorpio whatever you are the antichrist <laughs> i don't know right. that thing that people think i never I felt into that and i am I, I really appreciate that because i can well maybe not right now but when i was younger i tend too much to dogmatism if i believe something mm. it's okay, this is the truth the ultimate truth and there is no other truth than this i mean i have that tendency <laughs> of course still there but I try to to have them more uh, managed. Yeah. But if I had uh, found astrology when I was like more dogmatic, I don't know what would have uh, what use would I have given to astrology. Mm -hmm. So I think it it was in a good time for me. Mm, I think that's one of the, the the things I I thank the most, at least for the type of person that I am, because I'm not saying that every person should start later in life. I I'm, I know right. there are lots of of ways. But one of the nicest nicest things about getting to to astrology at a, a later in life is this recogn recognition of ourselves, of life, these experiences that make us um, like nuance the way we approach things. Mm -hmm. Because again, if, we, if you have um, told me about Saturn when I was a teenager, my idea of Saturn would be, oh, this is so bad, I hate it, why my life is so hard, mm. why I suffer, and then no one else is suffering the way I am suffering. <laughs> and that, yeah. that point of view, that now I know that that's not true. <laughs> not, not in the way that it appeared when I was younger. Right. Not to gaslight the suffering of anyone. But right. sometimes we, I don't know, we take very seriously our, our sufferings, and sometimes they're not that serious. Or, or, or they are, but we can grow from them, learn from them. Mm, and that's something yeah. that, I think experience gives, and um, yes, that, that would be. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. I totally relate to that. Yeah, I think that there's so much, I mean, especially if you have some habit of self-reflection, um, which it sounds like you very much did, like learning the significations of the planets and that, you know, learning everything about the astrology, like you can see how things line up and you can see how like you embody those things in very um, special or like particular ways. And I think that that can be really, really helpful. You know, like you have a lot more material to um, draw from as someone who has a bit more um, life experience. And all that to say, like, I know some very brilliant um, astrologers who are 10 years younger than me and, you know, know their stuff and have had the life experiences that inform that. So it's not to say anything about that. It's just, you know, that's just been my experience and, and, you know, your experience as well. Yeah. So I think I wanted to follow up with the, the question about your relationship to the moon as a child. And so like, where has your relationship to the moon gone from that experience that you um, identify with your friend? Uh, and, and why do you think it's important for us to talk about the moon in relation to, to astrology? What's, what's important about her? Yes, that I think, oh, in, personally, I've lived like through very different phases in my relationship to the moon. But generally speaking, I think that the moon is very important in astrology and in our lives because it, uh, for me, it is about our ability to relate uh, to others and to our environment and to our inner world. Also. For me, the moon uh, has a lot to say about our adaptive or maladaptive uh, body emotional reactions life and we even regardless of the position or the condition of our moon if we learn how uh, which are those uh, unconscious reactions towards life we can live better lives because we can uh, take advantage of the of the strengths of our moon whether that may be and also to mitigate or to learn to navigate the weaknesses to say something about the our place, our natal moon placement, and I think that the moon has a lot of of richness. Mm. For starters, as the mm-hmm. ruler of the night set, uh, she um, encompasses all these um, sensuous, um, I don't know, like material, uh, intuitive, instinctive, affective, um, appetitive side of life. And it is really important for us to to know how to relate properly with that side, regardless of our natal relationship with with it. Right. I also believe there's this um word that Balance uses to describe the rulership of the moon at the end of the of his uh, I don't know how to say like his delineations of the planets, mm-hmm. and he uses well I, I I don't know Greek, but I will say what I heard from Robert Smith that the Greek word that balance uses for the moon is pronoia. And pronoia is a word that those who know Greek <laughs> tell me that it means something like care. Mm. And I think that this caring uh, attitude of the moon is something also very important for who we are. Because coming back to where, what we, where we were discussing earlier in regards to that may, that that there might not be a solid intrinsic uh part of our identity because everything is changing on that 
I believe, well, I, I said before that one part of who we are is this awareness of, of what is, and the sun might relate with this uh, awareness of, of what's happening, of experience, but the moon is the reaction to that awareness, the way we relate mm. to that awareness and how we respond to that awareness. And I believe, this might not be uh, kosher <laughs> astrology, but I believe <laughs> that, that that the moon also relates to our um, natural capacity and need of compassion and of love because mm. as mammals, we need compassion. We need each other. We need love. We need uh, touch. And I believe that moon associates with that uh, dimension mm. too. And more or less, <laughs> that's yeah. my take on moon. I think that really reminds me of this idea of um, the moon in particular being associated with void, of course. You know, it's like every planet can be void, um, can like not come into contact with other planets, but it's particularly important. It's imp particularly important in considerations with the moon. And that reminds me of like, if you ever watch kittens, they don't sleep alone. They all sleep together, like huddled up in a mass. And that's kind of, there's something that's really important, I think. Uh, innately for mammals to have that sense of like touch uh, with uh, yeah that sense of touch and closeness that um, is really coming up when you're talking about uh, that that element of the moon like the the planet that really makes contact with every other planet how many times is it a month twice a month you know makes contact with every other planet uh, by bodily conjunction so yeah that that really stood out to me yeah, so your moon, as you said, is in Capricorn in the 12th whole sign house. Um, and I'm really curious because you have one of these rising degrees where you're at very at the very beginning of air, of Aquarius. And I was looking at your chart and like if you were born five minutes before Capricorn would be your rising sign and your moon. So your moon would be in your first. And so I'm very curious um, what that sign of Capricorn feels like for you. Um, and also, like, we could speak to uh, the moon's placement in the 12th house as well. And, like, what you feel about your Aquarius rising, like, being for sure your rising sign. Um, if you can speak to that at all. I'm sure that you've thought about that many, many times. Yeah. yeah. Since the beginning of my approach to astrology, I also um, related to my rising because I I felt that it um, resonated with my experience. But as I said, that was like a casual approach to astrology. I didn't know how the ascendant was really calculated or anything. Mm -hmm. So I didn't take a lot of, of attention to this zero degree ascendant. Uh, but when I started studying uh, formally astrology i was very worried <laughs> like the astrologer's nightmare <laughs> to uh -huh. have this uh very early or very late uh, degrees and, and especially with these uh rounded hours like the the hour of my birth certificate mm -hmm. that might be kind of um precise because i was born in a c-section and i believe maybe i'm uh, wrong but i believe that c-sections are a little bit more organized <laughs> than right. the natural uh, births but uh, I've uh, rectified my own chart uh, using primary directions, using zodiacal releasing, and it is it seems for me sure that I am an Aquarius rising. 
maybe not zero degree, maybe three or whatever, but mm -hmm. or, or two. I'm not very very sure because mm -hmm. I need to to lean to focus more in this primary direction uh, thing. But at least uh, from the zodiac releasing perspective, it matches perfectly the way my life has been developing. And right. I, well, that that's my 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 Aquarius attachment. That now I am an, I am an Aquarius rising, but also I think that well, I believe that it kind of helps to have the ruler, the same ruler of your first and your twelfth, mm -hmm. because I believe that this um, how can I say, an awareness that might entail to have a luminary in the 12th and in detriment and all that. <laughs> mm -hmm. It has been mitigated by the fact that the ruler of that house not only sees that house, but also is the ruler of the first. So mm -hmm. um, I've, I've always um, uh, seen in my life that, well, I'm always, but frequently when I, um, I don't know, when I act wrongly, uh ethically wrongly mm -hmm. very soon that materializes in my life mm -hmm. uh, and, but also when i uh try to act like more consciously and more ethically or whatever maybe not that soon <laughs> but that tends to also have like a visible consequence in my in my life so i found this uh relationship between what i do when i don't notice <laughs> in my 12th house mm -hmm. to when to what to that which then um uh, manifests in my life or in myself in, in my first house. And so I I I really feel this closeness to this uh, relationship between the 12th and the and the first. Mm. Uh, that regard my my racing. And regarding my relationship to Capricorn, I love Capricorn. I mean I love Capricorn writings, I love Capricorn songs, I love Capricorn whatever. I I, I really, really like Capricorn energy, Capricorn people. I, I'm a big fan of whatever mm. Capricorn placement there is. Maybe because that precisely that um, dimension of my moon of not being seen, of not being acknowledged, when I mm. see people that kind of vibrate in, in, in a similar fashion, there's like some closeness that I, I like in people all over the world with, with the Capricorn placement. But I, hmm, when I think of Capricorn as a sign, regardless of my personal experience, well, it's associated, of course, but when, when I try to, to, to see it like in a more um, detached way, I tend to think, as I tend to do with every sign, in, tem in terms of the essential dignities of the, of the sign. Mm -hmm. And for me, Capricorn is very um, easily understood as the night domicile of Saturn, as the exaltation of Mars, as the exile of the moon, as the fall of, of Jupiter, because I can... Um, understand the the capricorn trip <laughs> to say something like a place where you need to strive or you need to struggle you need to put the work in order for things to to work because mm -hmm. you have this both malefic energy uh, operating in there so also capricorn being the detriment of the moon and the fall of jupiter makes me think that capricorn is a place where we need to learn how to relate thinking in, in the moon but also learning how to trust which is like more of jupiter uh, realm mm. and maybe in capricorn it's not that automatic because you learn very easily when in capricorn as a space that there are no easy answers that you need to fight mm. that you need to 
you know, to accomplish things because things are not going to happen magically or whatever. And although I believe there's a lot of wisdom in that Capricorn approach, I believe that Capricorn benefits itself a lot when it understands that um, it can also trust and it can also learn mm -hmm. how to how to relate and how to um, to have faith and and that that is not something stupid <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I think that 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 has um informed my relationship with my moon the, this understanding mm, and also i don't know maybe be, also because of this um uh, essential dignity schema in capricorn i think that capricorn has a particular strength because these both malefics um action in there are like um hmm, like giving a lot of resistance of uh, focus of i don't know of resilience and even though um, it can sometimes go overdue, the I know like the toughness, the practicality that can emerge from Capricorn, I think that it's uh, it can become become also a flex because I see Capricorn as very hmm, as a leadership energy, mm. not in the way maybe as Aries can be also a leadership energy, yeah. but in the case of Capricorn, I think like a a leadership that comes from mastery. I mean, you mm. you are not um, imposing or inspiring uh, your leadership. Well, you can inspire <laughs> or impose, but the the focus in Capricorn, I believe, it is more in the mastery of of a skill or or whatever, and mm. from that master mastery, uh, being able to share or or to teach or whatever, and that's something that comes with perseverance, with patience, putting the work again, and that's something that I uh, appreciate a lot of Capricorn and. As in abstract, I and mean, in all the Capricorn people I I know, I I appreciate a lot that putting the work energy, um. But also I, hmm, although it's not all, again that well, it might be, but maybe it's not that kosher again of astrology. At least you know in our northern hemisphere, when the sun uh, enters Capricorn, uh, it's the solstice, and even though it's the longest night or the shortest day, it's the moment when the light starts to gain uh, presence again. Mm. And so I associate uh, Capricorn with with hope also, because yeah. even though Jupiter is in fall in there, I believe in I believe that it's precisely when the night is darker and when the the cold is, is, is harder that you need hope the most, because if you don't have hope at, at those uh, difficult times, it gets much more worse than it can get when you got the hope mm -hmm. that you can actually get out of there or, or, or no recover or whatever. And I I have learned to associate Capricorn also with this hope component. And last but not least, and also this is uh, totally non-kosher, but I want to share it with, with, with you also, is that you know that every sign is divided into five terms uh, as, um, associated to the five uh, classical planets. Right. And they have different orders. And, well, you know all that. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I sometimes uh, make these um, thought experiments, like trying to find some kind of narrative in this, uh, in the arrangement of the terms in each sign. Mm -hmm. Because I know there are some arguments in why they are assigned the way they are. But for me, those uh, arguments are very arid, and they don't really tell me 
nothing. <laughs> well, well mm -hmm. they can be useful, but they don't satisfy me uh, completely. So okay. when I'm not satisfied, I <laughs> I, I travel <laughs> in my mind. Uh -huh. So uh, regarding the the order of the Egyptian terms in Capricorn, which are the, the terms I I use mostly, mm -hmm. uh, Capricorn starts with uh, Mercury, which right. I understand as um, as the need of understanding, understanding reality, understanding what's happening. Step like understanding what the fuck is happening. Mm -hmm. That is like like the Mercury thing I I associate. Then it comes um, Jupiter, which I associate with envisioning, as in okay, I understand how things are, and now I can envision how things could be, how we could, uh, what we could do, or what we could accomplish. And then comes uh, Venus, which I associate to resourcing or connecting, because mm -hmm. I can have a vision, but I need to be aware. Of what are my resources mm. and to work to collaborate with other people to to join the effort to achieve whatever i would want to achieve right or we would want to achieve and also to to keep the motivation because if you don't have like this um i don't know loving and inspiring quality it's very difficult to to achieve a, a big goal so i think right. venus comes here like like a glue let's say and an inspiration and then comes Saturn, which I believe is like, well, okay, now you have your vision, your resources, and, and your motivation, and now you order this. You give a structure, you make a plan, you, you, you work on a strategy to get to that point that you are aiming to. And at the end of uh, Capricorn, it's the term of Mars, that I like it very much because I, in this story of mine, it is it, it, something like, well, now you have your plan, now do it. Do the work, mm -hmm. do the effort, sweat the, 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 the effort that is needed to accomplish that, uh, I don't know, that aim. And uh, I repeat, I know this is <laughs> a, a, an invention, but I, I it really resonates with, with me and my relationship with my Capricorn. Mm. I like this um, this narrative around the terms because the terms are kind of random, you know, like in a sign, they're kind of random. And so I feel like they're one of the hardest things. Like I'm generally pretty good at memorizing different things in astrology, but the terms are like quite difficult to memorize. Like I know like the first six of cancer, like I know is Mars. And that's like one of the only signs where the first part is malefic is typically the end of the sign is malefic. Um, and like, of course I know the bounds of, or the terms of my, um, like personal planets and stuff like that, but it's quite hard to memorize. And so I think this narrativization, whether people like it or not, you find some meaning in it and astrology is a symbolic system of meaning. And so, you know, like, uh, I think that there's real value in that. Um, and it's also very fitting. And the thing that stood out to me was the Venus's triplicity rulership in um, in Capricorn, which I think you speaks to very well, this idea of like, you may want to do something, but you actually need support from other people and kind of calling in the team uh, for support um, felt very fitting for that. Um, one of the things I did want to speak about though, uh, which I feel like could maybe bring us back to some of the things that you just shared is if you could talk a little bit about the moon in detriment in Capricorn and how you think about detriment. Sure. I, as we started talking a little bit earlier, I believe that oppositions in general, which 
relate to detriments are like blessings in disguise mm. in the sense that they allow us to um, embody the best of two worlds and to find a equilibrium in between something that usually might go to one extreme or to the other. Mm. Um, so in the case of the particularly Capricorn moon, uh, I think it has its challenges because the moon is not so easily open or uh, willing to relate or to show vulnerability or to feel or to connect with the body or, or these things that I was talking about earlier. Uh, it, there's like some chronic mistrust in, for, for the moon in Capricorn that it, it's not very lunar. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, even though those um, are no obstacles that the moon might find in, in Capricorn, I believe that it can also develop uh, some qualities that would be harder to develop in other spaces as mm. strength, resilience, uh, self-dependency, the, the self the self respect that comes from being able to solve your problems by yourself um and also this uh i don't know this enjoying of silence of loneliness like not being afraid of being alone not mm. being afraid of 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 not, of not being liked or whatever maybe in 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 the bottom <laughs> there there's a skill here but at least at, at some at, at a more superficial level there's a way to easily cope with this um, loneliness or, or whatever that I think that is very useful because when you start like familiarizing yourself with these uh, qualities of the Capricorn moon, you are able to relate to others, not because you need them. Well, we need everybody, but I need not, not from this codependency needs at all and without you, I can live, but because you want to share with someone and you can relate to someone and acknowledge the interdependence between them, but not like forgetting that your own limits, your own uh, needs, your own whatever you, you've got, because you, you have like this uh, stronger sense of, I don't know if, it, if it's of self, but at least of of the, of your limits, let's say. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the Capricorns are able to be very um, loyal and very, um, also very sensible and very affectionate, but maybe more selectively. I mean, it, maybe it won't be the this uh, affection to, towards everybody, but towards the, the persons that are that feel secure, that feel like home, that feel safe. Mm. Capricorn moons are as sensitive as Cancer moon. I mean, I, it's not that that we don't feel. It's just that it's it's just that it's a more selective and fearful <laughs> process. But whenever we decide that we are comfortable with someone and, and we open, we can have still this um, fertility, this creativity, this um, sensibility of the moon, but with all these other uh, flexes, more proper of the of the malefics maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I'm reminded of Saturn and um, this idea of Saturn as the gatekeeper and this thing of especially perhaps... Capricorn or Saturn risings of um, being what I perceive as very selective about the people that they have in their life. And that, that does feel kind of uh, a part of the Saturnine nature of, you know, perhaps the Capricorn moon or um, a Capricorn rising or what have you. It's, I think it's really important to 
here you say we feel just as much as the cancer moon we feel just as much as any moon um but maybe it's just the disclosure of those feelings is more discerning because there can be challenges with trust that's associated with with capricorn yes and also the what can be a problem but also a flex which is like the disconnection of these emotions because mm. Capricorn moons like automatically very easily when there's some intense uh, emotion even especially if it's not a, a pleasant <laughs> intense emotion it's like no I don't want it and and, and there's like this um, disconnection that can be very useful because for example you can have problems in your house or with your partner or whatever and you are at your work and it's like this doesn't exist right now what exists is this and it's not that you are not hurting but at the moment you are not hurting i mean you might in a in a, mm. in a more deep level in a deeper level but at the conscious level you are not thinking about that you are focusing whatever you are are doing uh, and that, i think that's very useful in many instances but also we need to manage that because as that is an unconscious process Sometimes we may um, detach from our feelings and we can be, I don't know, like rude or insensitive to other people's needs because we have already disconnected from our emotions mm. and we can act like more coldly or, or mean even. Mm. And it's not that we are mean or cold, but we have developed this uh, mechanism of disconnection of our emotions, of our body, mm. and we need to learn to, to reconnect. And the flex I find is that when we are more familiar to, to our inner processes, we are more able to to notice when we are disconnected and to choose I will I want to keep disconnected or or to choose no no I want to reground, I want to, to come mm. back to my body and then don't I don't know, create uh, affection well problems in affective re relationships mm -hmm. that might be at least it is my case that, that many times it has also been a problem. I don't know, acting cold, acting distant, or acting as if I don't care because I, I don't know, I'm working when I have fought with my boyfriend or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it, it's it's this ability that I think we we need we need to learn how to use because it it happens without our control and sometimes it's not that that helpful. Yeah, I'm just reminded of my own fire moon and I'm thinking about elementality in relation to the moon and this idea of compartmentalization and like i mean we see it all around us it's very easy to compartmentalize the earth we divide the earth into parcels and we fence things off and all of these things and whether that's a good thing or not it's what humans have kind of done um at least in certain societies but how do we carton off or how do we compartmentalize fire or water it's a little bit of a more difficult thing obviously we can put water in a container we use earth like we need earth for fire we need to burn earth we need to contain fire in earth so that it doesn't spread everywhere um but there does feel something like i kind of i'm a little not jealous but i'm kind of like oh it would be nice to be able to choose what feelings I want to feel and what feelings I don't and when and where, because where, I, I think I have this element as a fire moon of like, I'm just going to feel what I'm going to feel and it's going to show, especially being in my first house, it's going to show. And there's like a bit of a, not a powerlessness, because that's too strong of a word, but there's a bit of like, 
I just got to kind of deal with the emotions as they come. Uh, I can't, yeah, it's like, I can't necessarily compartmentalize in the same way. So it's really interesting to hear you talk about that and talk about the challenges that could come with that. Cause I could definitely see you get in the habit of just compartmentalizing and then you never deal with the emotions. Um, but also the potential of putting something aside when it's not necessarily appropriate to deal with it, to be able to deal with whatever is at hand. Um, so thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious if like your experience of that plays into uh, the placement of your moon in the 12th or, or what you could say a bit more about, about that placement. Yes. I think that being in the 12th, there are like more unconscious reactions to that mm. card common. because for example, and I have millions of stories, but I remember one time that um, there was this guy that I liked a lot and mm -hmm. he, he's a musician and I went to a, a concert of, of him and <laughs> during the concert, we were like uh, seeing each other and I thought that we were like vibing and I was really excited because I was like, oh yes, yes, he, he's feeling my vibe and we're, we love forever, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the concert, I approached him to say hi and he, <laughs> he told me something like, oh, I saw you, but I didn't know, uh, I didn't know it was you. And when he said that, even though we, he said it like innocently, yeah. my Capricorn moon activated instantly. And I, in retrospective, I, I can't see, but in the moment I, I wasn't aware, I closed myself and mm. I started acting cold and distant. And, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like, mm -hmm. like really dismissive to, to him, even though when I was really crazy for, for him and he was like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what's happening with this girl, <laughs> crazy or whatever. But then when I, when I saw that uh, event in retrospective, I, I saw like the way my moon was protecting me, but in a way that was not helpful because mm. my moon was, no, you don't be vulnerable. You don't need him. You don't want him. You are strong. You come alone or whatever. Yeah. But um, it was automatic. And I had no control in that moment over that uh, situation. And that I think is part of the 12th house thing, because it's not just the, 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 the protective protectiveness of the Capricorn moon, but also these uh, invisible reactions that are right. very compulsory, especially when something touches, uh, I don't know, like injuries or inner uh, spiritual, mm. emotional injuries. And that complicates a lot. Well, I mean, that's just a story, <laughs> but right. you can get a picture from that um, complication of, given the, the moon. But also uh, there have been also other instances in my life in which that um, that it's not just my inner uh, conditionings, but also outwardly, like especially with with women, mm -hmm. uh, it has happened a couple of times in my life that I exist, <laughs> and just for by existing, I some people don't like me. I mean, I know it happens to all of us, but mm. in my case, and and coming to the the twelfth uh, house thing. Uh, I don't know. For for example, well, I can. I don't want to make this very long. But what I what I try to say is that I have been in a lot of situations in my life in which there are people who don't like me, but mm. don't tell me that they don't like me or don't act like they don't like me. But at, on my back, they act like they don't like me. Oh, okay. And it's really hard to notice that. Why did I 
did to you or why why is this happening? And it, it has not happened that many times in my life, but at least a couple of times in, in not so beautiful ways. And I also think that it's part of this um, because I'm sure that I must have done something to uh, provoke that reaction in other people. But mm-hmm. I have no idea what what I, what I might have done or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then this uh, reaction was very uh, hurtful because I, I really didn't understand what, what was the reason for, for the rejection or why it wasn't like uh, directly to- speaking or whatever. And yes, I think that's another not very nice thing of, of the 12th house part. Mm-hmm. But not to close in a more <laughs> optimistic uh, note i think that one of the of the good things of the of the 12th house is that it has um, huh, propelled me from very from a very young age to find like spiritual uh, solace or guidance or mm. whatever and that's why i i started like practicing buddhist buddhism really young because i i needed i, I mean it was not like I know, like a hobby or like something that was cool or whatever. It was needed because I, yeah. I needed like like this help and seeking this help uh, has transformed my life. And I mm-hmm. think that that's very nice of the 12th house because especially in Buddhism, but I believe in, in some other kinds of spiritual, it can be useful too. It was always easy for me to meditate, for example. I, it, it, mm-hmm. It's not... um a big uh, challenge for me to stay uh, still to, I mean, I, it's not that my mind uh, is quiet, <laughs> but I can like be like observing in a, in a third uh, person perspective, the noise that my mind is making or whatever. Mm. And I think that that has helped me also a lot. And that I I, I appreciate, well, I thank to my 12th house Capricorn moon because I think there, there's this uh, capacity to, to, to see inside that, helps a lot with a luminary in, in in the 12 and also in my experiences for example with with ayahuasca and with hickory peyote mm. well, I, well, those kind of experiences i think it has also helped a lot because in the the times i had experiences with with power plants um, they have always been very insightful i mean mm. i i have always been able to see myself like without avail with my good side my not so good side mm. the, the things i do um and i think that that is also that that 12th house that can um, i don't know like like see uh, what is not what what avoids the conscious mind when when i connect to that 12th uh 12th house <laughs> there yeah. is this capacity to to connect with 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 inner well with deeper uh, layers of myself Mm. But also to this, um, I don't know, like th- this reality that is not constricted to my ego, at least mm. for an instant. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that I, I am there because I am not there, right. but for like a glimpse, let's say a glimpse of how it would be to perceive beyond the the boundaries of, of an ego. And yeah. I believe that the, that 12th moon, 12th house moon <laughs> has a lot to do with that. Mm. Yeah, it feels very like your your Saturn in the ninth in Libra exalted feels also very loud as well you know like being able to sit for a long time in meditation to clear your mind and 
do this exercise that leads towards kind of spiritual spiritual growth or spiritual enlightenment, what have you. It feels very fitting for Saturn to be in Libra in the ninth house ruling ruling that 12th house moon. There's which this I, thing, sorry, I interrupted. There's no, this okay. thing in, in Spanish, well, in Mexico, I'm, I'm not sure if maybe in other, in other countries of Latin America also, that, well, this is going to be a bad translation, but it's something like God, uh, uh, I know, like chokes, <laughs> but uh -huh. not to death. <laughs> Or something like that, and that's uh, well, that's a, a, a popular saying in, in Mexico and Latin America, I believe. And that it didn't make a lot of sense for me before, but when I started studying astrology, I really felt that because I, when I think in, uh, of my moon being in Capricorn in the twelfth house, in conjunct Saturn, all, all all these uh, not so good things for her, mm. it's like oh, <laughs> my my moon is is very very maltreated. But when I think that it is ruled by an exalted Saturn, I believe that God choked me, but not to death. <laughs> because mm. I I mean it, it's it's been hard to to learn to relate with that moon, but there has also been support and um, guidance and 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 some inner resources to to be able to learn to navigate that uh, difficult circumstance mm -hmm. that I I am aware that it's not so easy for everyone. Yeah. It hasn't been easy. It hasn't been challenging. It's been maybe painful at times, but it's been uh, rewarding or growthful. Or what word would you maybe put to it? Yes, I think. Well, I when I think of my Saturn, I I always think of 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 him as life saving because he. Mm. I think that. Mm, Saturn and the circumstances Saturn has uh, presented in my life have um, given me the means to mm, to to learn to be to live better and for that I feel really really grateful and appreciative because I I really don't know what my life would have turned to if I hadn't found uh, Buddhism if I haven't found plant medicine if I haven't found astrology yeah. I don't know I'm sure it wouldn't be very nice. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So those moments in which I uh, found uh, Buddhism, plant medicine, astrology are all marked by Saturn, by transits, by, by a lot of, of timing techniques, uh, perfections, whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I really feel like, like uh, I don't know how to say, but like, like a bodyguard in there. Like, mm -hmm. okay, okay, don't worry, we, we have discovered you're not alone, even though mm -hmm. we, that's not the usual attitude of Saturn is like you're alone <laughs> you have to learn to deal with whatever you you are put in front of you mm. I I feel that the exaltation has come in my life as mm, as not feeling that well right now <laughs> I don't feel that alone maybe as I said before when I was younger I felt alone in my challenges and whatever but now in retrospective I can see that I really never was alone never 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 mm. was never alone in terms of more than human beings or in terms of your human community or both mm, both in different times of my life because for example when i started um getting interested in buddhism my family was not well they don't didn't really care but my, my my nuclear family mm -hmm. uh, but then i have this um uncle that when i told him that i was interested in buddhism and stuff he um he paid for my tutoring in a, in a Buddhist institution in, in, in Mexico. 
mm -hmm. this is the start of it. And this was really nice because my family wouldn't have given me money for, for doing that. And mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to, well, maybe I, I would, if, if I could have, if I could have saved for some time, I would have been able right. to pay it. But at the moment, it would be, it would have been very difficult. And there was this uh, figure who made me, give me, gave me the money to, to pay for it. And also this also, how can I say, like, as you said, like these non-human uh, forces, because it, I, I feel very grateful that I arrived at the Buddhist center that I believe that is very um, serious and that is really, um, I don't know, concerned in giving um, a Buddhist of a quality education in Buddhism yeah. and also formed by, um, I don't know, sincere practitioners of the Dharma and all the people that I um, get to know from that community, they have become my lifelong friends and they have oh, helped wow. me in a lot, lot of situations uh, along my life. Uh, but also, as you said, it's like these people, but also these invisible forces yeah. that have uh, moved me to hear this, this teacher, this, this thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because even when I started uh, studying astrology uh, seriously, Mm. Also, I I I wasn't in the midst of another uh, uh, professional crisis. Like having the ruler of the MC and detriment and in aversion to the MC is not the the, the funniest part of my chart either. Mm. But uh, coming back to the Saturn invisible forces in, from the ninth, uh, it was precisely in 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 a, in a in a in a in a hikuri ceremony that I that I can kind of knew that I had to study more astrology and to mm -hmm. understand better some parts of myself. At the beginning, not as a, as an answer of that should be the, the, the profession I should take, just like this glimpse of you need to study this more deeply. Mm -hmm. And when I started studying uh, astrology more deeply, I, I found like the answer because watching my chart with more um, detail, I thought oh, astrology could be a good fit for me because of, of my placement or whatever. Yeah. And I, I really believe that these um, invisible forces have helped me in many ways um, when my, I don't know how to say, my, my natal challenges get me like very lost and really not knowing what to do next with my life. There has always been something that that helps me. And mm -hmm. sometimes it, it takes the shape of a human. Sometimes it's just an inner voice or sometimes, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But it's always present in my life. And I am very grateful for that now mm. i'm reminded earlier in a conversation of talking about ecology and also talking about the dichotomy or the duality of um chaos and cosmos or chaos and unity and i think it's also another example of that i framed the question as is it either this or that you know and or both but i, I do think that it's maybe beneficial to think about more than human beings as part of our community, as part of our ecology, you know, where I think that our human friends can lead us to a deeper relationship with the more than human and the more than human can lead us into relationships with other humans that nourish us um, in this very seamless way that, you know, we don't have to separate human from animal human from spiritual or what have you it's we're all beings together 
totally. I yeah. love it. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Okay, so we talked about your Saturn. Before we move on to talking about myth, I don't know if there's any myth that you want to talk about. Um, I would love to talk about uh, dodecahedron and how that affects or informs your experience of your moon being in the dodecahedron of of Leo. Uh, and I just want to give a plug to KazimiCon real quick and Cameron Casti, Omega Astrology on all the socials. Because uh, yesterday in preparation for this, I, I well, over the past few days, I watched his uh, lecture on Dodecahedron, of which I'll link in the show notes. And it was really, really rich and informative. Um, and I really want to dive into that more. I'm so interested in hearing your your experience, if you if you care to share it. Sure. This Dodecahedron thing, well, I just, I just want to say, maybe off the record. I mean, I don't, I don't mind if you include it, but if you don't, it's okay. I, I just want to share it with you. And I, I insist, I don't care if you share it or not with, okay. with your audience. But from that uh, presentation of, of, of Cameron in Casimica, I felt com- it's, it was one, another of these instances that I was telling you, because I felt compelled to book a consultation with him. Oh, and cool. so I did. And he gave me a reading uh, of Dodecotomoria and Hermetic Labs. And it was really, really uh, insightful because even though I used to to use the techniques and know by memory where my Dodecotomoria, where my lots are, <laughs> the, the obsessive quality of mine, mm. it was really enlightening to to see my chart from, from his perspective and also to, to have the fortune of connect to his... Um, consulting abilities mm. because he has this uh, balance that I talked before about yourself that he has a lot to say but also he he knows uh, how, how to listen how to ask questions and I really enjoyed a lot a lot my 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 consultation with him he's mm. a wizard and I totally recommend him big time Wonderful. and I wanted to to start by saying that because yes he's amazing and yeah go get a consult with with Cameron everybody Yes, yes, Cameron, Cameron is great. <laughs> and um, so coming back to the Dodecatomorian of my of my of my moon, uh, I think that it also is it's kind of mixed <laughs> the 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 way in which the Dodecatomoria nuances my moon because mm. for starters, being can I can I um step back for a second and can okay. you just give a very can you give a brief uh description of what dodecahedron is maybe for those who sure it is a division in twelve equal parts of every uh, zodiacal sign so uh, it, when we divide um the twelve signs between twelve parts we've got one hundred and forty four parts in, on in the zodiac. That kind of work as a, as a kind of, we can say like a fractal of, of the zodiac in, mm-hmm. in, like in, in, in every part of the zodiac. So um, whenever, whenever we have placements in our chart, they have like their, not, their placement in the zodiac in the ecliptic, but they will also have a, a place when you project the division you do according to the degrees they are on. 
don't know if this was <laughs> clear or this was confusing, but it's something like that. Well, tell me, was it confusing or? <laughs> no, that like... makes sense. Yeah, I think just to to summarize, it's if you take a sine, it's thirty degrees. If you split that into twelve parts, each part is two point five degrees. So within a thirty degree sine, there are twelve parts, which is or what Cameron calls the twelfth harmonic. So, uh, hence the dodeca, which means twelve. Dodeca de Moria is twelve. Um, exactly, and yeah. in every sign, you start with the sign you are watching. For example, if my moon is in Capricorn, um, the Dodeca de Moria of Capricorn starts with Capricorn, and mm -hmm. this repeats with every sign. And from Capricorn, you go in the order of the zodiac mm -hmm. all the way to the. In the case of Capricorn, would be uh, Sagittarius, which is yes. 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 <laughs> I, I got confused in my subject, <laughs> but yes, Sagittarius, would, which would be the twelfth sign from uh, from Capricorn, and this process repeats with every with every sign, mm -hmm. and so uh, depending the degree in which we have uh, placements in in our charts, it will be projected to another place in the zodiac that we can uh, understand from the lens of our own chart. I mean, for example, I've got the moon at 19 degrees uh, Capricorn, which corresponds to the Dodecatemorian of Leo. That's for every placement in the 19 degrees of Capricorn would be in the Dodecatemorian of Leo. But since Leo in my chart is the seventh house, then my moon projects itself to the seventh house. So uh, this is one of the parts, I think, that mitigate a little bit this darkness and this unawareness of my moon. Mm. Uh, for Starting with the Leo thing, because Leo and Capricorn are very different uh, energies. And mm. so well, there's a, a challenge that which will I come back later. <laughs> but okay. thinking about the nuance thing uh, in a good way, uh, even though I um, have this moon that, as I, I've shared before, might have been challenging on and might made part of my temperament gloomy and dark and I don't know like fatalistic or whatever mm -hmm. um, there has also always been like some sort of hmm, like of willingness to to keep thriving and to mm -hmm. to find a, an answer or to express what I was feeling in a way that maybe I didn't know how but 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 to find that way of, of expression that I uh, understand as being uh, for starters, this nuance between Capricorn and Leo, because mm. the moon is, I mean, it's in Capricorn, but it gets like a, a nuance of, of Leo. And then thinking uh, it is in my seventh house, my seventh, well, it's an angle, angular house. So even though the moon is like hidden in the 12th house, it has like a window, let's say, in, in an angular house. And I, as I think I, I mentioned before, it was mainly in my close one-on-one -on -one relationships on my partnerships where I started becoming more aware of this patterning of relationship that I've got and this, uh, in, I don't know, like immediate reactions that I have, this, this, not, this maladaptive um, qualities that my moon had from, from early, early in childhood. Mm -hmm. These relationships uh, were the, the windows for me to, to, to see that that was happening in, in me and getting like ways to, to start working with them. And I believe that that has to be with that um, angularity that my moon gains uh, um, moving to the um, to an angular house. 
but also because Leo and Capricorn being in a version that my moon falls in the sign of the sun, even it's not that close uh, by aspect, mm-hmm. it, it still is the, the realm of the sun. And being the realm of the sun, it creates some kind of connection between my moon and my sun that mm-hmm. otherwise wouldn't exist at all. Mm. So I think that it also mitigates uh, um, a little bit the um, the complications of the aversion between between the sun and, and my moon. Uh, but as I said, it's like a mixed thing because Leo from Capricorn is the eighth. So uh, using derivative houses from the Dodecatomorian, my moon would be in the eighth house of Capricorn. Right. So being in the eighth house of Capricorn, it comes back <laughs> to these associations of death, of loss, of fear, yeah. of anxiety, or whatever. So mm. my moon <laughs> likes likes the dark side, but also has this connection to to the bright side of of the sun. And it's uh, well, this is general with the Catamaran. When they uh, fall very near to another planet or angle in our chart, mm. that's really meaningful. And my moon, uh, when it goes to to Leo. It uh, makes a conjunction with my Mercury and with my lot of spirit. So one of the things that I haven't uh, thought about before and Cameron point out to me and I was like, oh, <laughs> crying in, in the midst of the consultation mm. was that maybe precisely all those uh, challenges, all the uh, difficulties that the 12th house moon entail could be projected into sharing uh, knowledge or teaching or, or I don't know, connecting with Mercury, but also with this uh, search of the lot of spirit to mm. to find like this actualization of what was my purpose in life. And then hence not seeing that suffering as something separated from my purpose in life, but mm. well, one of my purposes, because I don't think that we have one, but the purpose right. of the lot of spirit, like they, there's this connection. And I found that really, really enlightening because I I have already kind of reconciled with my Capricorn moon, but I ha- I haven't um, um, given this lecture of this connection between the moon to the lot of spirit and Mercury, and that was really really inspiring. And so, well, if you got, if you are looking for the Dodecatomorphism in your charts take uh, special attention when they uh, when the projections of the, of the Catamoria hit to other planets or angles or points or whatever, because that connection might be very, very meaningful. Mm. That is so, that feels like such a rich, like gives such rich, rich texture to your chart. And even like, for some reason with certain aspects, like I was thinking, I was talking about uh, Contra and Tisha in uh, a previous episode is like a back door. And I really love this idea of like a window into another place, like being able to see into another place that you wouldn't have contact with otherwise. I just really, really like that. And I like this idea of using those challenging experiences or elements of the Capricorn moon as a way of teaching, fulfill, fulfilling your purposes, you know, as we can think about the lot of spirit. Uh, and that reminds me to go back a moment to this idea that you had with Capricorn about hope. And 
it really reminded me of this distinction between hope and faith. And I think that there's something about, I was reminded of this idea of faith. And I think there's something about the winter solstice and the longest night. And, you know, that's the time of year in many cultures where the festival of lights, like we put up all these lights to shine in the dark. And what is faith but the belief in things that you can't see? And I don't generally really have a conclusion, but it just, it feels like a beautiful thing to consider in relation to Capricorn, uh, given the fact that I do think Capricorn is like, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, like your business and like you work hard, and like all of these things that, you know, you talked about not relating to your Leo son. Like I didn't relate to my Capricorn son for a long time because like, I either didn't want the connotations that kind of more pop astrology can bring to Capricorn or I didn't want to be associated with that or I just didn't really resonate with that. And so I like that more, you know, because I think that we can forget that Capricorn is like this double bodied sign of not just the goat, but the sea goat, this combination of the water and the earth and like this very, you know, Sam Reynolds talks about Capricorn and the sea goat as like this very kind of like almost libidinal thing, like very tapped into something deep, like the deep pulse of something going on. And uh, I don't know, it just feels very enriching thinking about those different elements of Capricorn that maybe aren't as readily discussed or readily available to most people who don't have experience with with those placements totally because i think that many of these pop astrology associations to capricorn come from a place well from a misunderstanding in a sense that if we live in a capitalistic world or whatever and capricorns know how to survive <laughs> mm. many capricorns will find a way to survive M many of them like um i don't know being the girl boss or whatever <laughs> but not necessarily in this uh crazy capitalist uh i don't know like greedy way i i mean i know there must be many capricorns that are greedy but there must be of, of any 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 sign but i think that there's a lot much more about it i i once had um uh, a German teacher that is a Capricorn son, and I really uh, admired a lot of a lot of 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 him of him of, of him, but especially that he always liked uh, German culture, mm -hmm. and he found a way to create a life in which he could travel frequently to Germany. Right now, he's uh, he has a a German partner, and he 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 has a life that wouldn't be possible if he had played his cards differently because mm. if you have money in Mexico to travel to Germany every year, you need to be from a certain social class that right. most of us are not. And mm. he has found a way that even though he is not rich, he can do that kind of travels because of his work. And also he's like a punk rocker. Mm. And in the school that he teaches, he can teach in jeans and with his, I don't know, his hair with strange uh, cuts or haircuts or whatever. 
and I really admire that because I, 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 I saw someone that knew what life he wanted to live mm. and found a, a way to make it uh, real, not being greedy, not being rich, not being whatever, but really practical in, in, in that sense. And well, that's just an example. But yeah. also there's this, as you said, this other um, dimension of Capricorn that, that sometimes might get um, overlooked, this other hmm, like spiritual or, or this intuitive capacity that Capricorn has that given our culture might get overlooked, but it's really, really hard. And when Capricorn connects with other, that other dimension of itself, I think it can be, become much more powerful than when it is just focused in the material security or, or whatever. Mm, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I also wanted to talk about, because you have this, I would say a conjunction between your moon and your south node uh, in your 12th house. And so I was hoping that you could talk to me more about the moon and the relationship to its nodes, uh, as well as any other any other aspects uh, between the moon and other planets in your chart that you think are are relevant. Sure. Mm, starting with this uh, south node thing, I when I started studying Hellenistic astrology, it was a little bit <laughs> disheartening when I was like reading about the maltreatment uh, conditions. And oh my like, gosh. when I, yes, like match, match. I have, so, I have so many maltreatments in my chart. It's kind of wild. Yeah. And it's like a funny situation because I mean, we have lived 30, well, you 30, me 40 years in our lives and mm -hmm. we are not dead and we have smiled and loved and yeah. have beautiful times. But when you are like digging it in, digging in, in these um, conditions and stuff, it's like, oh my God, I have this. Oh my God, I have this too. I have, I, I have this too. And, but all, although it can be a little bit, um, I don't know, I, I, when, when I started uh, studying that, I firstly arrived to the conclusion that I was never going to uh, attain uh, emotional satisfaction because I thought my moon is so maltreated mm. that it will never, 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 never find the, the emotional satisfaction that every moon <laughs> needs. I mean, that was my conclusion. No one told me that. <laughs> I, I arrived to that uh, preliminary conclusion. Mm. But then uh, something interesting regarding the notes happened because once I heard from Adam Ellenbass, um mm. a take on the notes that comes more from Yotish. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure there must be many versions also in Yotish as there is in traditional or modern astrology, in Western astrology. But the take that, that Adam shared was that um, from that perspective, the South Node can be associated with the um, spiritual journey, with mm. the need to transcend the material and to go beyond the material. Mm. And even though when that can uh, present um, challenges, because we have a body and we live in a, in a material reality, it can also be some kind of... Um, like a propeller of uh, spiritual um, seeking mm. and that it would it also needed to be like taken with uh, care because we could also exaggerate in that myth and, be, and make it become evasion just like trying to escape from from the world mm, okay. and that perspective uh, hit very deep with with my experience because i believe when I first approached uh, spirituality, I kind of 
one I, I was wanting to avoid material reality. I was trying to escape. I, I wanted to end with this suffering. But in the in the process, I learned that um, I don't know, like there's not that um that um, distinction or, or that um I don't know that this that separateness between what's material and what's spiritual. And also because being uh, in Capricorn, it's kind of uh, weird because the South Node in Capricorn, I believe that also um, maybe this is some um, evolutionary astrology, um, I don't know, like take, but I believe that it might also entail some kind of um, familiarization or comfort in the energy of Capricorn, mm -hmm. which I can also resonate with because maybe it's the moon, the the south node in there. But I, since I was a, a child, I I always felt like very Capricornian, like very practical and like very um, I don't know, like like knowing the way things work. I didn't like the way things work, but I mm -hmm. I knew how how things work. Yeah. And then I think that when you well, if if, if we can like mix this um acknowledgement of the reality of materiality but also like give it a turn towards a uh, spiritual quality and then taking it back to a material uh i don't know like concretion mm. uh even though uh this south node hasn't uh, i believe that it hasn't helped me to be very connected to my body to my emotions and all that stuff that i said before mm -hmm. i think that it also has helped me to to in, in this search of something else and this um possibility of taking back these uh, learnings from the spiritual realm towards a material realm in my life and mm. hopefully in the lives of the people with which I I don't know come along in, in my in my life. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that I think a theme of the conversation we're having is this continued return to the divisions that we create in our mind are perhaps artificial, like the spiritual and the material are not different things. Mm -hmm. Community, you know, the, these different kinds of beings are all part of the same community. They're not different things. The chaos and the unity are one. Like, And I just love that we kind of keep returning to that that theme um i don't know if it's a particularly capricornian theme but i do like that <laughs> i do like that we're returning to it and yeah like i don't really know that much about the south node about the nodes to be honest i feel like i'm learning more about the north node because i feel like the north node has been talked about a lot recently being in taurus and you know being conjunct uranus and and all of these things um so i really appreciate you talking about the south node uh to give me even like a better sense of of what it could mean in my chart are there any other aspects uh in your chart to other planets that you think are kind of relevant to touch on well if we are not thinking in with in transpersonals the only other planet missing is jupiter and mm -hmm. well maybe maybe jupiter deserves <laughs> deserves his view <laughs> sure but especially given the fact that you know, we, we haven't been explicit about it, but you do have a day chart, you know, like you're similar to my chart in that, uh, but kind of opposite in that 
I'm born like 20 minutes before sunrise and you're born like maybe I don't I didn't really work it out but 10 degrees before the descendant is where your sun is and so you're you're kind of like born at this dusk time and so um yeah like you have a day chart and so those kind of day sect planets of Saturn the sun and uh Jupiter are more emphasized and so I think it's fitting to to talk about Jupiter and the sextile that uh, Jupiter and Scorpio makes, you know, with, with your midheaven to that 12th house moon. Well, I promise I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> <laughs> Even though when it's a separating aspect in between the moon and, and Jupiter, being a whole sign uh, sextile, uh, I think it has uh, played an important role in my life. And that's one of the many reasons why I firmly believe in whole sign aspects um, mm. because I, I've seen them in, in my life. And I believe that there's this, um, how can I say, like this presence of Jupiterian themes in my life that um, have also helped me to... To come back to this uh, at, at the beginning to this um, spiritual uh, search, mm-hmm. um, which is very ninth housey, <laughs> thinking that my Saturn is in, in in the ninth, but also very Jupiterian, mm-hmm. and uh, being my Jupiter in Scorpio, I believe that it has also helped me to um, have this. I I know how to say it, like this tendency ability i don't know what the word is but this possibility of finding meaning in difficult circumstances and mm-hmm. being able to process uh strong emotions uh, losses fears uh, some scorpionic uh issues in a jupiterian way mm-hmm. and also like guiding uh considering that jupiter is like the the most um the, the the plan that is highest in the sky in my chart mm-hmm. even though when well, it's in the 10th whole sign house even though it's cadence because it's uh, falling away from from the midheaven right even though it is cadence i have always uh, seen like this um like this um i know i think it's a it's a mix be- between the mercurial thing and the jupiterian thing of looking for answers and for meaning and trying to have new experiences and, and trying to expand my horizon and expand my perspective. And every time I have um, um, like found these situations in my life, I think that um, they have really helped me to grow and to understand things in a, in a deeper level. And I believe that there's this, um, like, I don't know how to say, but like, mutual support because um, i mean the ruler of my moon is saturn which is square my moon but it's it's exalted in the ninth and it can have these um how can i say like these um qualities of 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 giving structure or direction or or meaning through religion or whatever Mm -hmm. but i believe that um, maybe that saturn alone could have become very dogmatic well it became very dogmatic and then then the life like threw it down and then and i had to to learn better but Mm -hmm. i believe that even though jupiter can also turn dogmatic being in in 
in Scorpio, uh, life is like life is life is presenting constantly these situations in which you need to acknowledge uh, that truth is much more uh, malleable than one would like to think in a Capricornian way, but also that when you try to give yourself to the light and be a nice person and whatever, like do the best of of, of what is expected of, of yourself, still you're going to get sick, you're going to mm. die, you're going to experience loss, yes. grief, and, and this other part of life, mm. which is again also part of the of the path and i think that scorpio jupiter has helped me to understand that and not to be that um reactive towards that realities at least now because when i was younger uh, my parents are well are, are right now they are very old <laughs> and mm -hmm. when i was a teenager they were already old I mean, not that old of course but they, they okay. were old and for me, it was um, from a very young age, like um, I, I was ex exposed to sickness, to old age, to to all the, the implications of the, of the corruption of, of, right. of the body and, and, and all this stuff. And when I was a teenager, that was not a nice experience. Mm -hmm. But from then on, uh, it has um, made me take a, um, a broader perspective, perspective towards life. And um, not not losing that offside that this other dark side of of reality is also part of of a spiritual path, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your experience of Jupiter in Scorpio because I feel like it's such an interesting placement for me. Um, I like got into a little bit of trouble, like not really, but I got into uh, a little bit of a of a discussion on Twitter um, because I was thinking about the planet's exaltations. And I think that Jupiter, someone pointed out um, that, uh, I think their name is Michelle, I forget their handle on Twitter, but they were pointing out that um, uh, I think in Dorotheus, um, Mercury has triplicity in Virgo, uh, in earth signs when it's in Virgo, when it's exalted. And so if that is true, Jupiter is the only planet that does not have triplicity rulership in the sign of its exaltation. And I think that's, which is um, cancer, which is where my Jupiter is. And I think it's really interesting that whether or not, you know, tri triplicity aside, elemental things aside, it's very interesting that Jupiter in Scorpio has that trine relationship to both its domicile in Pisces and its exaltation in cancer. And so it feels to me like a very, um, obviously it depends on uh, where a native's uh, Mars placement is, but it feels to me like a very interesting and, you know, potentially strong placement. Um, so it's really cool to hear you talk about the meaning making, you know, that kind of Jupiterian thing in some of those like potentially scorpionic, more challenging aspects of life of corruption of the body and grief and acknowledgement of aging um and what have you so i really appreciate that i also think i i love people reflecting on scorpio because i scorpio is my 12th house uh, and whole sign houses and like um i don't have anything there besides pluto and so i don't feel like i really have a strong connection to 
to that uh, that place. Um, so it's really interesting to hear hear your reflection. With that, are there any timing techniques that you use that have shown the deep in your experience with your moon or kind of shown you a different facet of it? Besides transits that, of course, are, are very useful, mm-hmm. I have found a very useful um, the Firdaria technique because um, sometimes there's this, um, I don't know, like this debate, particularly among modern astrologers that are not very fond of using malefic, benefic, or maltreatment, or this kind of, of language in, in their practice. And even though I guess I understand, because I'm not about fear-mongering or condemning determinate placements or whatever, I strongly believe that they are not um, arbitrary or capricious uh, sayings, ah, oh, this good, this bad, I like this, I don't like this, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that for starters, they are really um, descriptive of the quality of that planet. And uh, I don't know, the, the, thinking about the essential dignity, um, maybe the, how can I say this? Like the, the um, easily or, no, or not so easily way in which the planet expresses its natural essence, let's say. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that something is good, something is bad. Some Maybe just that, a planet when, with essential dignity can easily be uh, themselves. And with no essential dignity, maybe that won't be that easy. And uh, when we think that in a, like in a natal uh, approach, just not in a timing technique, but just like in a, in a chart, we can approach that uh, maltreatments from a lot of, point of points of view. And mm-hmm. uh, like we have been doing with my detriment moon, I, I believe in, in yeah. many parts of this, of this conversation. But when it comes to timing techniques, I believe that it's very important to distinguish which planets are like more uh, honored or, or, or better treated in, in a chart mm-hmm. and which planets are in a more debilitated situation. Because at least in my experience, it is very loud that in the case of my moon, which is arguably <laughs> the weakest planet in my in my chart, um, for example, in in the big period, in, in the big Fredaria period of the moon, I have like a, a really, really hard um, period in my life. All those uh, years. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying that all the years were held or whatever, but it was a period that it was really, really complicated. And it um, kind of, uh, I don't know, like got nuanced uh, according to the, the partner of the moon in the sub periods. But the whole, uh, the whole uh, period was really challenging. And in other periods, when the moon is a companion of, of the other planet, mm-hmm. it has also standed out that those have been the difficult periods, even amidst uh, easier periods or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, for that is, is one of the, of the techniques that I use more frequently in my mm-hmm. practice, because I found that it um, kind of helps people to contextualize the process they are living given a, a, a time frame mm-hmm. of course uh, a nuance or 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 made 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 it making it more precise when we include transits or perfections and other techniques but like in a general sense it uh, helps people not only to understand like a general view of the 
of the characteristics or the atmosphere during any particular period of their lives, but also like this um, prescriptive quality in the sense that when a planet is active by Firdaria, we should um, connect with the wisdom of that planet. Mm. And in my life, it uh, checked very well when my moon, uh, well, when my moon period got activated, that I started like coming very much um, back to my body, to my emotions, to all these lunar uh, things. And I and I found that very um, very nice because even though it was a difficult period. Uh, having this knowledge of well, this is my Ferdaria period of the moon, and I should I know like have a um a more um I know like nurturing uh I have an opportunity to nurture my moon uh, dimension. I think that helped a lot in making mm -hmm. that period not that not that difficult, or at least to to get something um, nice from that challenge. Yeah. All right, so. Let's talk a little bit about myth now. And I was wondering if you, if there's any myth that you associate with the moon that um, you could share with us. Sure. I would like to share a Mayan myth mm. that uh, concerns in some recounts, it uh, gives count of the, of the birth of sun and moon, but mm. there are some differences in the myth that some of them don't arrive there but from from the place that i um found it at, at the first time in my life this was uh, um, a myth of origin of the sun and the moon in the in the maya cos cosmogony and uh, i find it very beautiful and also related a lot with capricorn even though it might not uh appear to be about the moon per se mm -hmm. because in, in the mayans have another um deity for the moon which is okay. Ixchel, and i'm not going to talk about Ixchel right now although i could but i won't <laughs> I, I i like this this other myth because it, it makes me think of capricorn also and the myth says that uh, before well long time ago there were those um, a couple of twins that were uh playing ball game in in some place in in the Maya area, mm -hmm. and they were like very happily playing with these uh, rubber balls, something similar to soccer or whatever, but with with the hip, that was very popular in Mesoamerica and before. Mm -hmm. And it, it it is said that this uh, game, uh, well, this ball game, uh, was um, something that the lords of the underworld. Uh, held really dear because they played that that game, and when they noticed that these uh, twins were playing, they got really angry because they felt disrespected because humans weren't allowed to play this sacred game. So they allured these uh, twins to the underworld, uh, saying them that they will play the, this game ball game ball with them, but they ha actually uh, had a lot of uh, traps and challenges for them, mm -hmm. which they didn't well didn't do very well. <laughs> so they uh, <laughs> fall in every trap that these lords of the underworld put to them, and at the end they um, they 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 became some kind of uh, fruit vegetable beings because they the, the the lords of the underworld transformed them into some kind of vegetable spirit beings 
and they uh, trapped their spirits in a tree. And mm. they uh, kind of forbid that anyone touched that tree because I know because they forbid that, that they forbid. And many uh, years after that, uh, one uh, lady, uh, <laughs> always it's always a lady, but <laughs> one lady uh, found it. Um, well, she she wanted to to approach to that uh, tree, and she did. And when mm. she touched the tree. Uh, one part of the of the heads of the twins fell into well, the vegetable heads of the twins fell into her, and she got pregnant of that uh, mm. of that head, of that spirit or or whatever, and then she gave birth to other twins, and the, and then these twins were again playing uh, this ball game in their house or whatever, and the Lord of the Underworlds uh, again noticed and got angry again. And so they say, oh, let's, let's show these humans that they are they, they, they are not allowed to, to play this game. And they uh, allure them back to the underworld. But these uh, new twins kind of knew what happened to, mm -hmm. to their mm -hmm. ancestors. And they said that was so unfair. And they are not going to do the same thing to us again. And I, I like a lot that the, the myth is pretty long. But there are like a lot of stages of challenges in, that the Lords of the Underworld put the, to the twins. But in every one of the, of the trials that the twins were uh, put before, that were the same trials that, they, that, that their ancestors were, were put in front of, these new twins or younger twins uh, used the help of animals. In the first, uh, the first it was a mosquito, I believe, and then uh, some ants mm -hmm. and other other animal beings that helped them to to pass the tests of the lords of the underworld, and they they passed all the tests that their ancestors didn't, and the lords of the underworld were really angry because they they, they didn't know how they they managed to to trick them mm -hmm. or to solve the the challenges that that they gave them. And then they played a, a, a ball game with the lords of the underworld and the twins lost because, well, the, the other one, the, the lords were more savvy in, in, the, in the game. Mm. But since they have uh, already uh, made it through so many challenges, the lords of the underworld gave them like an opportunity to, I don't know, to solve other challenges or, or, or whatever and to play other games with them. And then again, the myth goes like very long because there were lots of challenges, lots of trials and tribulations. Mm -hmm. And many of them, they lost and some of them they won. And, and that, it was this common going between, between the new twins and, and the lords of the underworld until the final match in which the twins win the lords of the underworld. And in the myth that, uh, that, uh, that relates to did the you birth say, of- Did you say the twins became them? No, no, they they beat them. They won, oh, they, they beat won the, the, the lords yes, of the underworld. They beat, okay. they beat them exactly. They beat them in the in the match of 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 ball game, and in one of the relates of the myth which associates this myth to the birth of the sun and the moon, it says that these twins became the sun and the moon after they won mm. the the match with the lords of the underworld, but besides becoming the two lights of the sky. They also um, 
games, the triumph over this game of ball that was really sacred in Mesoamerica and, and the Mayan culture. Uh, and it, it is said that because they beat or, or they won to the, to the lords of the underworld, uh, they made the lords of the underworld promise that they won't uh, intervene when humans play this game mm. and that they will allow that humans are able to play this uh, ball game. And so they did because they were, uh, well, they, they, they lost. Yeah. And I think, well, I, the reason that I associate, well, you might <laughs> deduce, but the reason that I associate this uh, very closely to Capricorn is because, for instance, the, the twins didn't have it easy. I mean, they, they well, both couples of twins, the, the first ones and, and the second ones. But I like particularly that the second ones or, or the younger ones were standing in the learnings of the earlier uh, twins. Mm. They they didn't manage to accomplish what they said to do, but right. their failure uh, was not a complete loss, but that kind of put the ground for the new generation to know better and to do things differently. Mm. But also, I like that coming back to this Venus thing that we talked about Capricorn, uh, it's very nice that the twins didn't uh, beat the lords of the underworld just by their intelligence or their strength or or their whatever, but because they, they got help from the animals of, of the world, many different animals. And I like uh, that part a, 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 a lot because it, I, for me, it uh, is a resemblance, very a very important resemblance of the need to to collaborate with others and to ask for help and to not to think that we need to solve everything by ourselves, but to 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 to, to get resource. And at the end, uh, they kind of win, won like the final match, but even the the, in, I don't know, the intermediate uh, uh, games, some of them they won, some of them they lost, most they lost. Mm -hmm. and, and I believe that also it's a very Capricornian thing to don't disparage after losing, but getting again on your feet and try again, yeah. and try again and try again until mm -hmm. you finally do it. And I like particularly this association with Sun and Moon because I, I, I get this feeling of after many trials, you can become like the light of of the universe or, or at least mm. this this solar system in the in these two different uh, ways, which is the sun and the moon, and that's the Amayan story that I want. Well, I, I I didn't mention, but the names of the twins, well, of the winning the twins, are Hunangpu and Ishbalanke, and mm. um, I I I. Uh, although there are a lot of variations of the myth right. uh, in regards to the region of the Majan zone where they are uh, shared, mm -hmm. the general premise is the one that uh, that I already shared. Mm. That's a wonderful story. And I really like how it gets me thinking about uh, this notion about the sun and moon, which, I mean, the idea from the sun, I think the phrase comes from the Bible, which obviously is not directly astrologically related, but this idea of the sun shining on us all, you know, the good and the bad, what have you. And then I'm reminded of, and, and I just wanted to go back to this idea of um, or the concept of Fridaria for a moment, because I learned about Fridaria from Ali Alomi, who I spoke about in the, the intro episode of this podcast, but he has a great 
um, lecture on that that I will link in the show notes as well for anybody that wants to learn more about Fredaria. But he also, in his um, Moon episode, he speaks about how people, you know, before our current time, um, it was quite difficult to know your birth time. And so oftentimes what people would do is like, they could at least know where the moon is uh, and they can use that as kind of like, um, they, they could do their own bit of electional astrology of like, okay, I'm not, the moon is in Scorpio. I'm not going to do X, Y, Z, or the moon is in Capricorn. I'm not going to use that for this and kind of tracking the moon as a way for everyday people who maybe don't know their birth time, don't know the rising sign because of that are still able to use astrology um, and have a relationship with these celestial beings. The, the moon, you know, he talks about representing the people and there feels like this interesting thing in the story of uh, this second set of twins becoming the sun and moon, those twins kind of teaming up with the animals and like the community ultimately not for their own glorification, but to give something back to the people, you know, to give this game back to the people to become the beings that shine the light for us that would make life possible. And so I really, yeah, I really appreciate that, that story. And it is very evocative of a lot of different ideas that are, that are important in astrology, I think. I'm glad you like it. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, so to to move on to our last question, um, I was hoping if you I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about um, you know, or whether the the moon is an important part of your spiritual practice, or whether you've tracked the cycles of the moon in relation to your emotional life. You've so, spoken a lot about that. Then in addition to that, what suggestions you may have for someone who's new to astrology or new to planetary relationship? informing or uh, initiating a relationship with the moon sure i had like an intuitive approach to the moon that recently i heard about it in uh, also in lea alumni podcast i believe i believe it was also in the moon chapter i'm not sure if i mm. believe it was in the moon chapter correct me if i'm wrong mm. but he he talks about uh in the islamic medieval period uh people using the um, waxing uh, periods of the moon for cultivating the virtues that you are yes. trying to foster in, in your life yeah. and the waning cycles to try to, to cut with the attitudes or whatever things that you don't want anymore in your life. And I have this intuitive approach before knowing that this was a thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. because I, when I started uh, learning astrology and I understood like this uh, waning waxing thing and the implications it might have in, I don't know, the haircut or any other kind of things, I thought it could be uh, useful for, for um, allotting the practices that one makes uh, in following like these uh, cycles of the moon. So that, in, for example, if I am trying to enhance my loving kindness uh, capacity, I try to do it when the moon is uh, waxing, preferably mm-hmm. if it's in, in a, I know, in a sign that is Cancer or, or Taurus or, or whatever, but if not at least uh, waxing. Mm-hmm. And if I try to get rid of my selfishness, selfishness or my self-centeredness or whatever 
think I don't I don't want any more in my life. I try to do that that practice in in the in the waning phase of the moon, and I I think it 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 uh, it helps because it um, I know how to explain this, but it when we uh, synchronize our intentions with the ebbs and flows of of the energy that the moon is like pointing out, I think that we can get like easier uh, flow in that aims that we are uh, looking for. Mm-hmm. And also uh, before that, I use these, oh, I think that's more, well, it's usually recommended to women to track like their, their menstrual cycles mm-hmm. and also in like crossing that information of the menstrual cycle in regards to the moon, mm-hmm. trying to uh, find patterns uh, for example, that in which part of the of the of your of your menstrual cycle you tend to feel more happy or more sad or tired or mm-hmm. energized or whatever, mm-hmm. and linking that to the face of the moon, that's a practice, a usual practice in some women's circles, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but when that I started doing that before uh, astrology, well, before taking astrology more seriously. But mm-hmm. when I started taking astrology more seriously, I crossed that uh, tracking also with the signs of the moon. I mean, not just the face of the moon, but also which signs the moon was transiting. And I discovered, for example, that, hmm, I don't know, for example, when, when the moon is in Capricorn or when the moon is in Scorpio, for many people, at least in social media, it's like, oh, I hate the moon in Capricorn. Oh, I hate the moon in Scorpio. Mm-hmm. But for me, that's not the case. When the moon is in Capricorn, I tend to feel much more grounded, like more, uh, I don't know, like like stronger, maybe because that's my natal placement, mm. even though when it's in the 12th. And when the moon is in Scorpio, it, maybe it's because my Jupiter is in there. But I don't, I mean, I, I feel like the need of intensity or, or, or death, or mm. death, <laughs> but not necessarily like this dying thing or whatever. And mm. it's interesting to find that patterning in regards to ourselves and also in some periods of our lives because it, it changes with the moon. It's not that, oh, I always, when the moon is in Capricorn, feel this way. Right. It's like usually in this part of my life, but then something mm. changes and I feel completely different. And, and I think that it's really important to, um, well, it, it has helped me to understand something that my, Buddhist teachers have told me for many years what I maybe didn't quite understood that is it is that when you meditate you are not trying to achieve a state in particular you are trying to recognize the state in which you are for mm. to start and then of course there are some meditations in which you try to cultivate the determin- the uh, states of of emotional states or whatever but for example with, coming back to the example of loving kindness there are some times when we do loving kindness meditation that we can feel the love and we want yeah. everyone to be happy and to take hands with the, all humanity or whatever. But there are other times that we don't, that we really don't feel that, that we don't care a lot about the, the, the well-being of other beings or, or whatever. And that's okay too, because that's what is in, in the moment. Mm-hmm. And tracking the cycles of the moon has helped me to understand that I'm not the same person mm, Never <laughs> that I'm con- constantly changing, yeah. and then that then that that that's okay, and I think that that those are the ways in which the moon has informed my spiritual practice, 
and in regards to the um, to to the recommendation to the beginner beginning students of astrology, uh, I would highly recommend. Uh, well, for women, I would highly recommend this this thing of tracking the menstrual cycles and mm -hmm. the phases of the moon and the the signs where the moon is in. So that's true. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. it like how can I say this? It helps to connect or reconnect with our bodies yeah. and to uh, get like a um, fresher or stronger perspective on regards to what we need. Because I mean, I'm, I know that not everybody has the same problem as I do of this disconnection to of the body. Mm -hmm. But for myself, it was really helpful to to be more aware that sometimes I'm not sad, I'm just uh, tired. Or mm. I'm not angry. I'm I'm just hungry. <laughs> or I'm right. not I'm, to to distinguish between this kind of of things. And uh, this tracking is very helpful uh, in in regards to that. I, I I recall Diana talking a little bit about this in in a different way, but also about this. And to the public in general, I believe that this um following of the moon can be really really informative, because when as you said before, as the moon is very swift and she do does this uh traveling through the zodiac for in, in less than a month, in less than a month we can have a lot of information of how uh, the transits feel, how the things are going. And if we connect to these movements of the moon, we are better able to understand the way uh some I don't know some Signs express in our livings or some in our living, yeah. sorry, or some planets express or or whatever. Mm -hmm. Also, when when it conjoins our natal planets or or whatever, I think that the moon is like a a very uh, trustworthy indicator of mm. the now, the now, the now, the now, mm. and it can help us to come back to the now as many times as we wish, and also. Mm, I, know. <laughs> I I would recommend that people do it in in a way that feels comfortable because mm. I also know people that get obsessed in tracking the mm. moon all the time and after a couple of months they are burnt out and they are tired and they don't want to know yeah. anything more about the transits or whatever so I think it's nice to 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 do it at a pace that feels comfortable and mm. don't um fixate on having to do it daily or whatever but giving this organic approach to, to the tracking of the moon, but journaling or, or writing down whatever you feel or, or think or see or dream or whatever when, when, when you do it. Mm -hmm. Because even though when sometimes it might feel, I don't know, like not very important, it has, made, it has happened to me many times that when I come back to my writings of a year ago or two years ago, it makes sense what in the moment it might didn't make a lot of sense so i think this journaling part is also very very important yeah and that's yeah absolutely i think i'm just reminded of one i mean i'm reminded of so many things but i think the emphasis of on the moon's swiftness and change and this idea of um being able to find patterns but patterns also changing that kind of tension um, I will say that it's very interesting. One thing I will say first before I talk about signs of the moon is that I feel kind of called to talk about loving kindness meditation 
And I wanted to say that I think in relation to resourcing my own moon and my own Jupiter, which are in this kind of mutual reception, my Jupiter is the ruler of my ascendant in the, in the eighth, um, doing loving kindness uh, metta meditation. What, you know, what a loving kindness meditation is, is literally cultivating, like focusing kind of, or how I've done it, focusing on your heart center and focusing on the cultivation of the feeling of love and then projecting that energy in different directions and how someone explained it to me, which I found really, really helpful was starting with yourself. So starting with myself uh, and like cultivating loving kindness for myself has been such an important spiritual practice for me uh, in relation to, you know, just my relationship with myself, but you know, my moon is in my first house. Uh, so I very much associate that with part of my my being or what have you. Um, and so I just wanted to, I felt called to kind of share that. Um, you know, we don't necessarily have to cultivate love for others first. We can turn in and cultivate love for ourselves so that we're a better able to show up and share that for other people. And the other thing I just wanted to share that came to mind was this idea of like, certain transits of the moon not necessarily being what you think they would be and like my Scorpio eclipse story was like I laid in bed all weekend like I was just tired there was no but it was not like it's my it's in my 12th house it was not like a big story it was just like I'm gonna lay in bed you know and and I find interestingly with Scorpio the Scorpio moon I'm a very emotional person um, and then when the moon is in Scorpio, I often find just like, I'm not really feeling, I'm feeling less emotional than usual, which is like a bit actually of a nice reprieve, you know? Um, and then like interesting, yeah, like a little timeout, like, okay, we're focusing on the other things now, but that's not necessarily how one would think the moon in Scorpio, uh, in someone's 12th house might show up. And then interestingly, when the moon is in Taurus, like we were talking about this before we started recording, I'm noticing that that's also like time when I'm just like, I just want to be in bed. Like, I just want to rest. I want to eat snacks. I want to watch shows. Like, I don't want to really like do a lot of stuff in the world. And unfortunately, like the world, sometimes the tempo of the world will make you have to do stuff. Like we had to go grocery shopping today. We had to do X, Y, Z and, and it was okay, but it was kind of like, yeah, I'd rather just not do that though. <laughs> and that's how I see like that placement show up, which, which it, I feel is really interesting, but it's just like, yeah, when you do that kind of personal tracking, you can really see how, how those things happen for you uh, in the particular you know, manifestation of your chart, you know, because we're all, we all have unique charts and we're all unique people. And so it's going to show up in different ways. Um, so thank you very much for sharing that. And, uh, you know, before we close, I was just wondering if you, if there's anything else that you wanted to add, any imparting thoughts that you have about the moon? Well, not really, but I would like to thank you for opening this space. I really enjoyed myself a lot. <laughs> it was really nice to talk to another astrologer and getting to share these um, very personal things mm -hmm. through the lens of astrology in the hope that it doesn't uh, help only 
other people that might have similar configurations, but also um, like inside the exploration of their own uh, charts through mm -hmm. these um, different layers of examination. And I want to thank you because you are really, really thoughtful and nice and all everything you shared was really interesting and and enriching to to my own experience and i'm very mm -hmm. happy that we finally got this opportunity to talk person uh, by person <laughs> yeah. and i hope that that we uh, continue um, talking and learning from each other because it's been really a blessing for me thank you very much yeah yeah i would love that and it's really my pleasure and thank you so much for being here and for openly sharing from your experience. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I'm just really glad that we got the, got the opportunity to finally, yeah, talk face to face and do this. With that said, where can we find you? And is there anything that you are um, working on right now that you want to share with us? Or yeah, what do you have in the works? I, I am thinking because most of the things I do are in Spanish. So yeah. for the English speaking audience may, might won't be very uh, relevant mm -hmm. because I've got a site which you mentioned uh, before, uh, which I am trying uh, since December to fit in a blog to write um, things, different kind of things, but it's everything in Spanish. So if mm -hmm. someone talks Spanish, they are welcome to visit delcaosalcosmos.com. But if they don't speak Spanish well, <laughs> there's not, not 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 so much to say about that. Mm -hmm. I uh, I am consulting astrologer, but also teaching astrologer, and I in, right now I am about to start um, uh, introduction to astrology using traditional lens uh, course, a twenty weeks course, and another more intermediate uh, where we explore these uh, timing techniques like Firdaria, Perfection, Solar mm -hmm. Revolutions, and this kind of stuff, but they are all in Spanish, so the same point as before. Okay. Uh, but uh, if, well, yes, I, I have another workshop on, on the houses, but again, it's on, on Spanish. Th that one is much more uh, directed to more a more broader audience because mm -hmm. it will be more practical, not so much uh, theory, but um, trying to to show people how to uh, analyze every chart using the lords of, of the houses and the difference mm -hmm. between the lords and the, and the planets in the houses, mm -hmm. given that in Latin America, at least in the social media world of Latin American astrology, there's still not so many um, teachings on traditional astrology. And I would like to expand the general knowledge of how to use a lord of a house or these things that mm -hmm. are really used, used in traditional astrology. I would like to, to make it more extensive in, in the Spanish-speaking world. But cool. for the English-speaking world, if anyone wants to share a thought or an experience or chat or whatever, they can find me in, uh, well, by mail in soycaoscosmos uh, at gmail.com. Okay. And in Twitter, uh, my handle is tweetastrologico. And in Instagram, I uh, they might find me as Madame Angelique. I almost never use Instagram, but mm -hmm. if someone writes me on Instagram, I will happily reply. It would cool. be really nice to share thoughts, experiences, 
uh, even disagreements, respectful disagreements. Uh -huh. I am always happy to to listen. Be also nice, be nice, Angeles. Okay. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, that's that's where you can find. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, I will link all that stuff in the show notes. And just to be clear, do you consult in English or just in Spanish? I have just made one consultation in English, and okay. it was. I think it was okay. <laughs> it, okay. It's for me because it's not my native language, and sometimes it's that, 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 yeah. like my ideas uh, crash between one mm -hmm. another. But it could be doable if they yeah. are patient <laughs> with my re reduced English skills. Your English is very good, and we've spoken for th you know over three hours. Which, as someone who speaks, I speak Spanish as a second language, not as good as you speak English. Like. I don't know if I could sit through a three-hour uh, <laughs> conversation in Spanish and still have my brains intact. To, <laughs> to like, They're not intact. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I appreciate you, you you know putting forth the effort. But okay, wonderful. So yeah, if you resonated with Angelis, definitely go to their website and book a, a consultation. And um, yeah, I'll link all that in the show notes so you can find it and. Angeles, thank you so much again uh, for doing this. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Espi. <laughs> ciao, ciao. Thanks for listening to the show. I'll see you next time. To find a transcript of this episode, please subscribe to my Substack, which is linked in the show notes. And please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter. See those links in the show notes as well. Please feel free to follow me there and let me know that you found me from listening to the show. If you have any questions or feedback on the show, please feel free to email me at sphallhorary at gmail.com. In the show notes, you can also find links to the websites of the astrologers and other resources that I mentioned in this episode, as well as links to the cover art and the intro and outro music. Thanks. See you next time.